Now I'm going to choppy choppy your pee pee. should probably jump into what we're going to be talking about today. I don't know. Me choppy choppy. <laughs> oh, it's going to be rough. It's going to get me for a really long time. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about what we're going to be talking about today. So are these the things? These are the things of which we are going to be discussing about things with the things. So all the things today. And the first thing on, the, on our bracket is... Some Vigigameness, because Nintendo Senpai has graced us with our September Nintendo Direct, so we have a lot to talk about with that. Animal Crossing hype. Animal Crossing hype. Luigi Mansion. Luigi's Mansion. Even though we've seen everything for it, still super excited. You'll hear my <laughs> thoughts about that shortly. <laughs> so we're going to go from Vigigame news, and we're going to hop into our special guest segment of another novice nancy's guide to pro wrestling intercontinental belt edition with our resident wrestling expert mr pop culture junkie himself who has graced us again on one of our glorious podcasts and it's yeah. been fun this was actually <laughs> a really fun one i loved it and you're going to hear that a million more times but it's fine so as we round out our novices guide, we have a new segment that we decided to throw in this week. Yeah. A surprise once in a while thing, I suppose. Yes. Stupid things of the week, where we just kind of go off about all the stupid things that have happened in the past week that we have opinions on. So, yes. So there's some... There's some internet drama news that's thrown in there that's been dug up from, like, the grave of the internet. We also have some game stupidity debates. I don't know how I want to put that. We have some video game debate stupidity. And we round it out with a nice blend into our PSA of the day. Where yep. you want to know. Vic Stan's gonna be mad. <laughs> just a little bit. And we just need the console wars to come back so that way we can all hit our e-cigarettes and wacky tobacco pens in peace. Let's go. Well, I think it is about time that we hop into some video game news. Sounds good to me. Okay. Because we had a nice big Vigigame news kind of day, thanks to Nintendo's Nintendo Direct that happened. That's right, we got our September Direct. Yes, it was fantastic. So many new things and updates and all type types of wonderfulness. So where do we want to start off? With the fact that I'm losing schmeckles to Nintendo yet again. They're just taking all your money, aren't they? Final Fantasy VIII Remastered came out this week, and I've been playing the crap of that. And then because of this, Banjo's out, so that's getting downloaded. And 
so much more to talk about. Yeah, I do need to get my hands on Banjo, like, ASAP, no Rocky. Yeah, <laughs> Antonio and I were playing Smash last night, and he kicked my ass as Banjo. Last time I played Smash, was at your house. And I, I did know. okay. Yeah, y'all just need to learn how to play with no items. That was just one of the... We have plenty of no item like ones. That was just the one that was selected. So told you we've got evolutions of the J Gib. <laughs> there is no evolution. There is only one, just the Gib. The one true Gib. So but let's jump into this direct. So do we want to start at the beginning or do we just want to talk? I think we should just talk because we had a lot of stuff thrown up thrown at us and I think one of like the biggest things that we should probably talk about is we got a date for Animal Crossing. Well, we got a date for Animal Crossing, I think back at E3 in March. But what we got from this was more in-depth explanation as to what this Animal Crossing game really is going to be. Um, E3 kind of showed us a trailer that just showed off some highlights that you're on a deserted island with a March 2020 um, launch date. Mm-hmm. Now this goes in and shows you the fact that they've basically taken the crafting elements of some of the other popular games out there like Stardew Valley, uh, Minecraft, Harvest Moon at times, and putting it into Animal Crossing as well to build everything. You're basically creating your town from scratch. Yeah, which is, a, I mean, a good evolution, I think, to a game I've never played where like my entire understanding of Animal Crossing is... You go to a raccoon, put yourself in debt, and work your way out of it. And apparently that's relaxing. Animal Crossing is the most chill game out there. You just run around, do things, pay off your debt when you want to. You never have to. You can stay at the base house unless you want to expand it. There's no end game. There's no beating Animal Crossing. You just play. Until the next one comes out. and Your last town gets forgotten about, and all your little villagers forget who you are for like five years. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I haven't played New Leaf in a minute. I've just never played Animal Crossing, but I know a lot of people in my life very much enjoy Animal Crossing. This if is only exciting put, for them. If only they would put the NES games back in from the first one. But I guess that's why we have Nintendo Switch Online. We do have Nintendo Switch Online alongside... Some new SNES controllers, too. I mean, yeah, we're getting the SNES controllers, but let's talk about the fact that we're finally getting the long-wanted Super Nintendo Online um, with a good launch library at that. You've got a good mix of RPG action, uh, brawler, and platforming games all in here of different types. Yeah, I, I think Super Puyo Puyo 2 is one of those games that like I'll just never get sick of. <laughs> um, I was playing it. It's actually really hard. Yeah, that's why I like it because I will just rage at it, but it's still yeah. relaxing to me. It's you know, nice I to get my frustration out on a game. Before we recorded, I jumped around and played a couple of games I hadn't played in a while. Um, and one of the ones I started on was Breath of Fire, being a classic Square RPG. Um, and I ended up on Link to the Past, getting through the first dungeon in under, I think, 10 minutes, getting from the start of the game to the first dungeon completed. 
Well, that's one of those games that you know forwards and backwards and every way to Sunday, right? Like you've played that oh. game. That's a lot of the games on these list on this list already, but yes. <laughs> the cool thing is I that know... you get online play. Online play is nice. Yay. And you can Kirby's Dream Horse it up, which is another one that I'm very excited to play. Dream Course being on here is nice. Um, it's kind of a gimme, to be honest. I knew that we all kind of knew that that was going to be on there and that you'd see the Mario games. I'm I'm actually kind of disappointed we don't have more RPGs. But this is just... Well, this is only the first crop them. that's coming out. Yeah. But the SNES library to a lot of people was known for RPGs. I mean, Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, uh, The Secret of Mana, Secret of Evermore. Those just those there would be nice additions, especially Chrono Trigger would be nice to see released on this. Well, we, we are getting a. This is true, but we are getting a Trials of Mana remake. Eh, I never played the first one. I honestly not going to spend forty dollars for an HD remake of something that I could spend forty dollars and get three games on from them already. Fair enough. It's my same thoughts like... why I'm not getting Link's Awakening right now. One one argument I will make for the Trials of Mana, though, is it's nice that you get, you know, the option of doing the, the 2D remake, or you, the 2D graphics, or the new 3D remake. So it's nice that they give you the opportunity to switch between the two. Well... Let's say in the Trials of Mana, I saw that for Dragon Quest Eleven. I didn't see that for the Trials of Mana. Maybe I'm a liar, but Trials of Mana they re-released recently the 2D collection, um, and it released for the first time in North America on the Mana collection that released around E3 that we had talked about. Um, Dragon Quest Eleven coming to Switch though is definitely a must buy for me. Um, the fact that yes, you can go to the classic Dragon Quest eight bit kind of sixteen bit style to have that classic feel to it. Um, with the Dragon Quest hero being in Smash was a big way to push for this game coming, and this game deserves to be on the Switch. Yes, it's a, a little over a year old, but at least it's the complete edition coming, and comes out later this month. Don't you mean the definitive? No, because there's going to be another edition of it. This isn't the definitive, it's the complete. <laughs> because we all know there'll just... be another release, you know that. It's like everything. This um, is true. But this will be a good thing to have. Dragon Quest is a fun, fun, fun little RPG series. Or if you're more familiar with its other name in North America, Dragon Warrior. Dragon Warrior. Sounds way more intense than Dragon Quest. But that one and The Witcher 3 are both games that I'm going to be buying for sure. Because The Witcher 3, again, oh. is all of the DLC as well. Uh, I will be nabbing Witcher 3. Because that game just looks fantastic. <laughs> um, I mean, what? unfortunately, some of the things on that is it is only going to run at 720p in docked mode. So you are getting a huge graphical downscale from what it actually looks like with other consoles. And the Switch is capable of putting out 1080, so I'm not sure why it's scaled down so much. Other than the fact it has to fit and run smoothly on handheld version as well, which will run it at about 480, I believe. I would probably blame it on handheld, but isn't The Witcher 3 a 
massive game. Like, <laughs> yep, it's a huge game. Pile-wise, so that may or may not have something to do with it as well. Well, the gra the graphical limits of compressing it are one thing, but again, you can it it runs at 4K on other consoles. Compressing it down to a 1080 signal already saves space. Okay, fair point. So blame handheld or hashtag blame, blame Morton. Morton for that one. I won't blame Morton though for the fact that we're getting Terry Bogard and Smash for your fourth DLC character. Yay! That means that our our champions pack is only one away from being complete. Yes, but don't they did worry, there will be a season two coming of Smash DLC, but I am quite happy that they're getting some SNK representation in Smash. That you're getting King of Fighters slash Fatal Fury series representation and not the face of that franchise either. You're getting one of the undercard characters. And I think Yay. that's awesome. Yay, um, undercard. And especially the creation, uh, the way they showed off the reveal, they showed off just the neat going back to the SNES timeline and it flashes over to the Neo Geo and then to the 16 bit SNK graphics, which are amazing compared to honestly the SNES graphics itself. Um, to show off this so they didn't show off any in-game play during the direct itself um sakurai did do a little post thing to show off banjo where he showed off a quick little five second glimpse of gameplay footage of him of in-game footage so we know he is in game but he was so sweet during his whole you know 35 minutes or 25 minutes of just playing the game he's like he's just... with the he's so pure <laughs> Making fun of himself as well. Hey, but Home Run Contest is back in Smash. And a bunch of new me costumes coming out. So that's cool. Including Sons Yay. from Undertale. Yay. With more original or a remix composition from none other than Toby Fox. The ROM hacker that made Undertale. Because he hacked a Nintendo game. Who would have yeah. thought. Speaking of Toby <laughs> Fox, he's also working on Game Freak's next game. Um game freaks next game which is called little town hero which you don't have weapons you fight with ideas and it's okay i'll i don't <laughs> know if it's gonna i this doesn't interest me at all i don't like the way the battle mechanic works I, from what they show you don't want to you don't want to wanna think your stuff. way out of it you don't want to think your way out of it it's not that I don't want to think my way out of it. I already think my way out of it plenty playing games like Final Fantasy VIII Remastered. <laughs> <laughs> A game that actually scales combat with you, so you always have to think, because it never gets too easy. So you always have to figure out how to beat them other than just GF flashing everything, which is a valid strategy. But um, It's just it doesn't really interest me too much from what they showed off. I need to wait till the game comes out so that I can actually see some real gameplay footage to see if it's for me. Right, see if the story is, like, enough to make up for the gameplay, or maybe yes. the gameplay gets better, or a combination of the two. So... Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, I am kind of excited to see that Bethesda is bringing Doom 64 to the Switch. Right? That was something that totally came out of left field for me. It's like, whoa, hi Bethesda. What, Doom 64? Okay. And then Divinity Original Sin 2, the Definitive Edition, is on Switch, which supports cross-saves between Steam and Switch. That's pretty cool for an old for a That's kind cool. of RPG. 
that's Star Wars. a smart move right there. Some of the other little quick hits they put out. Yeah, Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast is coming. Just a port of that classic Star Wars game from the PC era. Uh, Super Kirby Clash free-to-play Kirby game. Luigi's Mansion Scream Park mode, which is the versus mode. Okay. I think that's a really cool idea because I know Luigi's Mansion never really had like any like multiplayer and Nintendo's really in that like oh, we're more family-oriented, so multiple people should be able to play. And the idea between picking stuff up and then also seeing who can vacuum up the most ghosts isn't a terrible multiplayer idea. Either way, I'm, I'm still super hyped for Luigi Mansion. Like, I'm so probably going to pass on Luigi's Mansion, to be honest. I played the first two, and they still aren't my jam. Um, I played the original one when it launched with my GameCube when I bought it launch. I think it was actually one of the very few consoles I got launched. It was my GameCube. I got that in Melee. And I just didn't care for it then and still don't really care for it. Well, That's this one is me. supposed to be reviewed and taken much better than the other Luigi's Mansions, at least from what I've been Kind of seeing on the internet. Yeah, I but it's not worth $60. The not worth 60 bucks for me. I'll buy it and I'll let you know how it is. Maybe I'll Go let you borrow it. it. <laughs> nah, that's all right. Pokemon Sword and Shield got some new features. Um, we can dress up now. All that is cool. Um, the new Pokemon they I'm showed off, Pulte Geist, is cool. Why the hell? So you don't get a national dex, right? There's no national decks in Sword and Shield. The Pokemon fans were mad about this. And I sat there and said, you know what? They can't feasibly put all of the Pokemon plus the new ones in the game now. It'd be like 900, too much data. But you can get a cur you do get a curry decks, and you can collect 100 different types of fucking curried rice. Because curry is more important than Pokemon, apparently. Didn't you know that? <sighs> okay, Nintendo. Okay, Game I mean, Freak. I could have, I could have told I'm you that. Still buying the game because Pokemon, and I have to because of reasons that aren't even podcast related. Um, because Pokemon. But seriously, it's a Curry Dex. I'm at a loss for words. You know, let me get They're a really list of the Pokemon in the game. Let's see what we got, and we'll go from there. Like, the new one they showed off, one of them, Poltegeist. It's a teapot Pokemon that will let you drink its tea if it likes you, but its body is the tea. So you're basically doing a light cannibalism, or... You're eating your Pokemon. Congratulations, people. Moving on. Um, a game that looked that took me by surprise and really got my interest is Return of the Oberdin. When I think of a spoopy, suspenseful game, that's the kind of story I'm looking for. Something like that with an art style that's going to draw me in, like the shaded black and white line art that uses use a little device to go back and see how these people died. That, that looks cool to me. That game looks fantastic. I will definitely be picking it up because it's murder mystery and you get to rewind time and see things and then piece things together on your own. I want to be a dick. Let's go. Right? Why don't you just go be a perfect dick on your Switch and you can go buy L.A. Noir for it? I'll work on it. But I would actually rather play L.A. Noir on my PS4 that I own, not my Nintendo Switch. <laughs> Why don't you get The Witcher 3 for your PS4 that you own then? Bum, bum, bum. Because I would actually prefer to play Witcher 3 on the go. Even though it's going to totally shoot the quality. 
in your battery life? I mean, I take my brakes in my car. I got a I got a C cable. Uh just hooked up in there already. I'll be fine. So what was next here? Rogue Company. This does not look interesting to me either. A team boost a team based shooter coming to Switch next year. Okay. As if we don't have so many of those already. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Tetris 99 is getting a new mode called Invictus. You get two-player versus co-op. That'll be paid DLC. And you can go buy the game at retail shelves with all of the DLC included. Okay. This game was free to play online, and that's still the only version of it I have. I'm almost tempted to go buy the packaged version just so I can play single-player Tetris. Right, instead of having to pay... Play player I have to pay anyway to buy the packaged version, but at least then for one price, I get everything. Um, Damon X Machia, I want to talk about that for a second because this looks cool. I like mech style shooters and mech style combat games, and to me, this looks pretty tight. Yeah, I I saw some of the, the clips of it, and it actually caught my attention. So I was like, oh, hey. That looks like something I might consider spending money on. And so, of course you get a four player local co-op mode and it will also have online play. So win-win and it comes out not too long or not too far away. No, it won't be out. It comes out on September 13th. Um, any of your data from the demo will carry over to the full game. So I probably should go download the demo, but at the same time, I don't want to take up the download space and just go buy the game. So yeah, just we'll get, get the cart and then yeah see how i do on that one right now i still need to beat final fantasy 8 um a couple of other things that got announced and oh yes there's more thank you nintendo nintendo um, senpai really delivered this direct so thank you tokyo mirage bleh, tokyo mirage sessions fire emblem encore edition is coming to the switch january 17th <laughs> um it will include new story elements a new song and new characters so guess what, guys? We almost have every Wii U game is on the Switch almost now. They've almost ported every one of them over. You're almost there. Deadly Premonition 2 is coming out in 2020, and the original game is being launched as Deadly Premonition Origins, available currently on the Switch now. That's something I'm going to be picking up because I very much, like, I watched a couple gameplays of Deadly Premonitions, so I'll be excited to play it for myself. It'll be fun to play. Um, then you got Assassin's Creed Rebel Collection, which can be Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag and Assassin's Creed Rogue coming. You know, I might get this because I never Black Flag is one I missed. Um, and I'm not a big Assassin's Creed guy, but I can be a pirate. So being a pirate would be fun. I think I'll probably get that, and I'll probably see if I can get Assassin's Creed 3 as well, pretty cheap as a cartridge game. And then finally, another Switch port coming. Another Switch slash actually 3DS port coming, because it came out on those. Xenoblade Chronicle Definitive Edition is coming. Okay, so this is the definitive, definitive edition, right? Yeah, from the 3DS to the Switch now, or from the 3DS to the Wii U to the Switch, Xenoblade Chronicles. See Shulk Boy do his thing. I'll probably end up playing it. I, I I missed it on the 3DS, so I might play it. I like RPGs. We'll see. You you are a very RPG heavy kind of man. I don't 
really take a preference. If I like a game, I like a game and I'll play the heck out of it. Otherwise, I'll just kind of like, yeah, I guess I'll play it. RPGs give me enough content for the price that I can always justify picking one up. That's true, because there's always stuff to do in RPGs. There's one thing we've been kind of glancing over throughout this whole thing and haven't talked about, and I guess we should maybe talk about it for a minute. Could be important. Overwatch is coming to the Switch. Dun, dun, dun! In October, the most popular eSport... And I know there's a lot of League guys that are going to be mad at me for saying that, but Overwatch is more popular than League. This is true. You can't, you can't fight packs, folks. <laughs> League created its championship series and the teams, and then they started getting pulled. Blizzard made people pay them to start teams for an Overwatch League less than a year after the game came out. I'd say it's pretty smart. On Blizzard's behalf. And now yes. this gem is coming to the Switch. I have never played Overwatch. I don't know if I will because I don't know what all is going to be required. Obviously, the Nintendo Online is going to be required. But am I going to have to pay Battle.net to play this game? I would hope not. But. Because, <laughs> I mean, this think about a- it. DCU Online, I have to have Nintendo's online service to play plus a subscription to play. Right, which isn't worth it, because it's like I'm already paying. I'm not paying more. Good day, sir. Also, if Blizzard, if you're listening, bring us WoW to the Switch. It's well classic, please. Yeah, that'd be awesome, by the way. I would would actually pick up WoW again if I could play it on my Switch. That would be like my... Probably picking up WoW again. I've got my group, I've got a group together to play. Let's go. I will not because I will not see anybody ever again. Yes, you will. You're an adult now. You have adult things to do, and if you're in a guild with us, you're not going to have to deal with that. I don't raid. I just play. Just playing is fun. Yeah, Let me go I don't kill really some get... boars in a forest to Eye of the Tiger, please. Right. I mean, I do raid, but I don't raid with, like, giant raid faction guilds. I raid with my friends. So, so it's more impactful. Yeah. But Overwatch coming out, maybe I'll get it, maybe I won't. We'll see. We'll see how much it's going to cost us. Oh, it's going to be 60 bucks for the game. That's all I know. Well, so, I mean, yeah, you got to buy the games. <laughs> you know what, though? All in all, Nintendo, this was a really good direct. I enjoyed it. I had some fun watching Sakurai Senpai just play his game and just be, like, so cute. Was awesome. Shout out to Grant Kirkhope. Yeah. Yes. Beardy Boy support. Nintendo has supported. We support. <laughs> oh, Grant Kirkhope did. Well, Grant Kirkhope's done music before for Nintendo games, even before the Beardy Boys. So, I mean, come on. Banjo Kazooie, Donkey Kong 64, um, <laughs> Donkey Kong Country 2. He did songs. I mean, Sticker Bush Symphony was a great game in Donkey Kong Country 2. And you got to give him his credit where it's due. He wrote that man wrote the DK rap. Yeah, you can't you can't take that away from anybody. That is his, and we and, will forever. By Amen. the way, the remixed Banjo Kazooie music for Smash is fire. It sounds so good. It's like to be honest, like I know it's supposed to be like fighting music, but I would 
legit use it as workout music because it's just got that beat and it's like so hype. It's been <laughs> stuck in my head. Yes, I also I really enjoy the stage that they made, like the custom stage with yeah, Spiral Mountain. Yeah, Spiral Mountain, which has and everything then... I would want in it. It's got Grunty, Mumbo, bottles, and Tootie runs around the bottom. You get to see the honeycombs floating above trees as it spirals around. It's actually very well done, very well thought out. The relation of Banjo's house to the mountains almost perfect from the game. Yeah. And the and the I... rotation of the stage is also a really nice touch too. Because it's a mountain, so it's a spiral, and then like some points you'll have a bridge, other times you won't. You're able to like. Yeah, the bridge to Grunty's layer shows up. Other times the points change from where this mountain spirals. It's a neat mechanic, and the amount of attention to detail they paid to it paid to the stage for Banjo Kazooie fans is. Sakurai did his research for what players wanted, and the West got their their Smash character. You know, Japan got their Smash character in the Dragon Quest hero. Uh, the world got theirs in Joker just to say, hey, look, we put a Persona character in here, but you're never getting it on Switch. And now you get your fighting game community in the world and where 16-bit gaming is still supremely popular in Latin and Southern America. And their iconic characters now are coming in the form of the SNK franchises. They're making everyone happy. And like Sakurai said, he's like... He, he had said that this is something that will never really be able to happen again. So to make sure that they're doing this to the best of their well, abilities for as long as possible. Like, okay. Yeah. The, the thing he said to put more context on it was that he keeps moving the goalposts for himself. Um, Sakurai has multiple times stated that making the Smash Bros. series is physically damaging to him. He has, The man has almost killed himself making Smash Brothers before. He puts everything into it. So he said in his thing that he keeps moving the goalposts for himself, and you may be wondering, well, how long can he continue working on the Smash Bros. series? And went on to explain what Ultimate is, even if there's another game after it that it will never be on this scale. I don't think if there's a Smash game moving forward, I don't think Sakurai is going to be involved after Ultimate. This is his Hail Mary. This is his love child of the years he, that he's worked and given us blood, sweat, and tears for Smash. He's well, done some after back, this. Some backstory is the fact is he didn't want to make another one after Melee. And Nintendo coaxed him back in more pro more more appropriately, uh, Iwata coaxed him back in to make the two others that came out. So he made this one for them, and I don't think he's going to make another one. I just I don't think he's back for a for, for a sixth Smash game. I don't blame him. I think he'll move he's on to other franchises. I mean, this let, is let the him. man who single-handedly created an iconic Nintendo, two iconic Nintendo franchises on his own. Yeah, maybe he just needs to take like a month or two off, you know, go on a nice cruise or maybe a deserted island where he's in, guess, uh, indebted to a raccoon. Maybe. Pop quiz for you. What's the other franchise he created? Kirby. Good job. Uh, yeah, that one's not too hard. He, he really liked Kirby and it made him happy. He's just a very happy the character. Final coding happy on... Okay, who did oh. the final coding on Kirby <laughs> for Sakurai? Before he was published by Fort was published by Nintendo. Iwata? Yes. Iwata was the president of HAL Laboratory at the time and was the first CEO of Nintendo to not be part of the family. 
of the Yalamora family, actually. After you know, Mr. Wise stepped down, Iwata <laughs> was named as CEO, and he was the leader in of HAL Laboratories. Fun fact is that Iwata, as CEO and president of Nintendo, still had hands in the Smash Brothers game and did final coding on certain characters for Iwata until he died. Um, or, I'm sorry, for Sakurai until he passed away. No, my heart. And did you also know that Miyamoto was completely against Smash Brothers having his characters in it at first, and it took Iwata and Sakurai's convincing to have him do it? Was it like a violence piece of these are supposed to be happy characters, we don't want them fighting? Yeah, kind of. He also felt it just wasn't an appropriate format for Mario and Link to be facing off with each other at first, but they showed him how it could work with the features of the original Smash Bros, essentially making them toy dolls, and it's a kid playing with their toys. That's what Master Hand is supposed to represent. Right. So that's how you buy it in. You get some symbolism in there, good to go. I mean, Nintendo's concepts for creating games are almost geniusly simple when it comes to things like that smash brothers itself is just a kid has a toy box and he wants to play with his toys and here's your imagination making these sets and that's why the stages in the original look at look the way they kind of do um and more recently with yoshi's crafted world uh, yoshi's woolly world kirby's epic yarn you're seeing them use that element of crafting things and such in how they're designing their games paper mario being another great example of just how simple their concept starts out at and what it becomes. Right. Paper Mario is fantastic too. Paper Mario, a thousand year door, super paper Mario for the Wii. I played that. I played both of those. Loved them both. Two completely Just different games. I know totally like night and day. I was in for one and then something happened in the other. And, I mean, I too love Nintendo, but I also know what to criticize for. And that's what I've got to say a few little things I want to criticize about this Direct. Um, It's great that we're getting even more information on Pokemon, but I don't, I feel this close to the release that some of these things could have just been left as a surprise. Animal Crossing getting its updates, great. Again, it's close to Luigi's Mansion 3's release. Why did we need to dedicate some time to it again? We've done that in the last four or five Directs, including E3. Um, those games alone, again, showing Dragon Quest off in this Direct was a, was great and showing the 8-bit retro mode, but everybody knows that was in there because it was on the PS4 versions, and that game comes out in two weeks. Uh, Damon X Machina comes out in a week, and we're getting more footage of it in a Direct, which wasn't really needed. They could have used that time more appropriately to maybe show off some things or maybe give us an update on Metroid Prime. Since it's been a year since we were told they're restarting the game from scratch. (laughs) So they have to have something for Metroid Prime. Why did we get to see? Why did they need to show off the dungeon creating ability and Link's Awakening? Are they really trying to pitch to people like me who are not spending $60 on a Game Boy game? Because that still doesn't appeal to me, nor does the Amiibo or the fact that you can save it to the Amiibos look. Nintendo needs to abandon this Amiibo support because it's not doing what they want it to do. People aren't flocking to buy Amiibos unless they're hardcore Nintendrones. But you did say that you wanted to buy a Snake Amiibo. Yeah, I want a Snake Amiibo, but that's actually more for the (laughs) fact that I just want a Snake Amiibo just to have the Snake Amiibo because it's unique. It's different. It's a non-Nintendo character as an Amiibo. That, to me, is something different just like i want the cloud amiibo because it's a non-nintendo character as an amiibo 
I could care less about Nintendo characters. I have some amiibos. I got them to use in Mario Maker and with Breath of the Wild. I have four. I don't need any more. I don't have that any amiibos, said, actually. That being said, I will probably end up buying this Link amiibo because I do collect Zelda things. Just like I have a couple of a few other Zelda amiibos I'd like to collect just to have them for my Zelda collection. Will they ever be used right. for the game? No, they're never used for their intended purposes. My amiibos are collector's items, and they sit on a shelf. And they look very nice on that shelf. I will, I will my vouch whole, for that. My three eight-bit and my one Ocarina of Time Link woo that I used to get the Hero of Time outfit in Breath of the Wild, or yeah, in Breath of the Wild. That's all I did it for. Just for the skins, or in Mario Maker, or the different costumes you can adorn. Other than yeah. that, eh. hey. I'll say I've made it this far without having a single amiibo. <laughs> and yeah. I'm doing just fine. I mean, again, one of the Mario ones came with my Mario Maker. The other one I bought on my own, and they're both the 8-bit 30th anniversary Mario amiibos. My 8-bit Link amiibo is a 30th anniversary Zelda amiibo. They have a reason I bought them. <laughs> Right. They're not just, oh, this is a cool amiibo. Let me get this real quick. However, if anybody listening happens to have the Smash 4 amiibo for Link, um, shoot me a DM. I'll give you a P.O. box to ship that thing to, because I do want that one. Mainly because I want <laughs> the Pona in my fucking Breath of the Wild still. I have a Pona somewhere near the castle. How do you have a Pona if you didn't have the amiibo? I borrowed one. Oh. There you go. Oh, Epona is somewhere near the castle, but I'm nowhere near the castle, but I know Epona's still there because when I whistle, it says, Epona can't hear this. So I need to go back and get her. <laughs> it's been a while. Right. Um, but hey, that's just me on Nintendo. I have my own faults with them. The amount of ports we're still seeing of older games coming through. And making a big deal out of them. I mean, Doom 64, rightfully so, because that was a Nintendo exclusive. I mean, Nintendo and putting Jedi been, Knight... It hasn't Nintendo, been on a console since. No. And Nintendo putting Jedi Knight 2 into the Direct, PlayStation released it as a tweet that it was showing up on the PS4. Well, it was Nintendo a tweet. Was like, <laughs> this deserves more than a tweet. Slight shade to Sony. But, Just kidding. <laughs> But does the port of a 20-year-old game deserve time in a direct? Like, if they were announcing an HD remake of Banjo-Kazooie coming to the Switch, I would totally be okay with that being in a Yeah, Nintendo let me direct. see what it looks like and, and just enjoy it. But there's no... There wasn't even much gameplay showed off. The graphics are the exact same as they were beforehand. There is nothing too different about it. They're creating hype just for hype. I suppose, but we'll see. I mean, if... overall, I would say I give this Nintendo Direct a rating of a cronut out of a dozen bear claws. It's not quite the best I could see Nintendo. 6.5. No, it's like a four and a half. It's like a four out of five, Nancy. It's like a four out of five. I'll give them a four for this one because we got a lot of news on Animal Crossing, you know. They showed off the fact that Overwatch is coming. We got the Super Nintendo coming to the Switch. Um, 
So got to see Sakurai four. play a little bit. So yeah, Banjo's live. Got the new Smash. Got some Smash DLC coming. You know, we got some good games that are coming out on the Switch. Like I know Divinity Original Sin Two is a port, but the fact that it has cross saves, I'll support that. Um, you know, so that's just me. No, that's fair. Um, I guess the last question I kind of want to like end on with you is, especially now that I know your rating with the with the four out of five. Or the cronut out of a dozen bear claws, depending on who you talk to. Um, I would imagine the next Nintendo Direct is like the one right before Christmas. Do you think it's going to be better? Or do you think it's going to be worse? The next Nintendo Direct will be in October. Nintendo does a Direct every month. Will it be better or worse than this one? It depends on what else is new they have to announce. They're going to show off more news on Pokemon in October because it comes out in November. Um... If it if this comes out if the next direct comes out before Luigi's Mansion three we'll probably see more Luigi's Mansion three footage. Um, <laughs> Nintendo pretty much does the same things in their directs. They put them out, show off games, and that's it. Um, I give this one a four because we got a lot of news on Animal Crossing mostly, and there's not much else they can reveal on Animal Crossing to me without showing off in-game gameplay more. So right. we'll see. Nintendo would have things to build on, but again, they can't go, what are they going to do? The next Direct announce the N64 a month after the Super Nintendo? Probably not. They're going to wait a bit on that. <laughs> but if I ever get the opportunity to play Super Mario 64 again, I wouldn't be mad. <laughs> I mean, Nintendo re-released all of these games onto the Wii U and onto sudden you don't get a virtual console they're releasing select games through an online service now what i would like nintendo to do and see announced at some point would be just a real version of the virtual console so i can bring the games i bought over already to play them on the go instead of having to sit at home i would love to take my game boy advance purchases from my wii u of golden sun for example and take them with me maybe one day Maybe one day. Well, I think that about wraps up our Vigigame news for the day. Nintendo Senpai did a pretty good job delivering for us. So I think we're going to hop on to the next one. Yeah, and speaking of the next one, Nancy, we're going to talk about a title belt. Yay, more wrestling things. Well, I say this at the end of that, but this is going to be the last wrestling thing for a while. But admit it, this was also a lot of fun. Oh, I had a hoot and a half. I mean, our cold open and episode title directly come from this conversation. So let's jump into it, shall we? So once again, joined by our friend, the one, the only pro wrestling pop culture junkie, we present to you another installment of A Novice's Guide. This time, the Intercontinental Championship Belt. Dun, dun, dun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back at you here with a special segment today. We're bringing back a novice's guide. And we're going to be talking Well, yeah, I guess a novice Nancy's guide is appropriate since it's another topic <laughs> you're not well versed in because we're once again talking about pro wrestling, but specifically. Yeah. This year marks the 40th anniversary of the Intercontinental Championship title belt. And so 
I figured what better way to celebrate a 40th birthday for a wrestling belt than to ask our resident wrestling guru, the one, the only pop culture junkie to come on and kind of run down some of these, uh, these champions here. I've got a article I pulled up from the mirror that has a lot of them on there. And we're going to talk about the top 10. Uh, but first and foremost, Mr. Junkie, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you two doing today? Uh, living the dream. Exactly. Are we all? <laughs> That's, that is the white people answer of I hate my life. Just want to like put that out there. No, the white people answer of I hate my life is I can't complain. And even if I did, nobody would listen. That's the white people version of I hate my life. Is, hey, that was no, my go-to no, line. No, what are you no. talking about? Living the dream. Like... <laughs> Fact is, I am living the dream. I'm home talking to my friends on our podcast while drinking a beer. I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and, and we have millions and wine. millions of listeners enjoying this. So even more, even better. See? And my yes, butler we... is going to be serving me um, Chicago Italian, Italian beef sandwiches because I just get them flown to me on the regular. That's the dream. That's all. <laughs> You wish. I think I've had, I think in the last three years, I've probably had more Portillo's than you have, and I haven't even gone to Chicago for it. Yeah, because you can go to Arizona because for some reason, Arizona decided that they could get a Portillo's, but here I am in Houston as a true Chicagoan, and I can't get Jack. But Fun I do fact, get... Arizonans don't like Portillo's either. They think other places are better. Uh, they just, they don't know. And it might not be the same. It's hard to replicate like the Chicago heart and food. Because there's a lot of cholesterol that goes in that. And I don't think that translates to Arizona. Because if you have too much cholesterol, then it just, like, you turn to butter in the heat. <laughs> Is that why I shrank last time I was out there? Damn, good to know. Yep. <laughs> All the butter is just melting away. <laughs> On that note, let's dive into this list, shall we? <laughs> yeah. So, number 10, I think we've talked about before. It's the British Bulldog is their number 10 greatest title holder. Um, during our well, SummerSlam talk, I believe we talked about him winning the belt. Um, I do believe that we did, so maybe people are going to have to go back and listen in case they missed it. <gasps> so instead of really diving into this one since we've done it before, I just want to ask Mr. Junkie, does British Bulldog deserve to be in the top 10 champions? That's a really hard answer to give because he is considered one of the great, you know, wrestlers of all time. And he's, you know, he's a, considered a legend and so forth. But I mean, he had one title run and it lasted a matter of weeks. He won the title in the main event of SummerSlam in front of over 80,000 people in Wembley Stadium. And it was one of the greatest uh, main events in history. So, yeah, that's, you know, a great accomplishment. But it's kind of hard to say when you compare it to like, okay, how many times did somebody held the title? How many times did they defend the title successfully? How long did they remain champion, et cetera? Um, I don't think he had more than one title defense before losing the title just a matter of weeks later. But it's it's kind of a hard decision for me to say automatically, yes, top 10, uh, just because it's got so much against him uh, from what I just said. So I don't think I would have put him in the top 10. I, it, he's somewhere in the top. 25 maybe okay 25 yeah. maybe okay um before we move on to the next one i just i kind of want to get this out of the way 
Um, for the Intercontinental Championship belt, like what does that mean? Because I know there's various belts. So, real quick, little history on the belt. Uh, it was established on September first, nineteen seventy nine. Okay, so it is just, we just passed the 40th uh, anniversary, birthday, whatever you want to call it. And basically it was just set as the second tier title for the uh, WWF, uh, or WWE nowadays, but WWF at the time. And it was just your second tier title. So you had tag belts and you had the world title, but you didn't have a middle title. Other companies like WCW, NWA, etc., they've always had like a, a, a television title, United States title, something like that. And the... IC title was created as its second tier belt, so you would have another person that could have a prestigious title belt, whereas, let's say you had house shows going on, and you have a house show going on in two different cities on the same night, well, the main champion can't be in both cities to do the show, but if you have another person that's holding a title belt, then that makes that show even more important, because you're now seeing another title being defended. And so that was the reason to have more than one singles title. Um, funny thing to share with you, if you want to, well, are we going to go over facts about the uh, title later, or do you want me to include that now? Um, I think we'll cover some facts um, between number two and number one. So as y'all okay. stick around and listen, look forward to that. We'll pepper some facts in between. Okay, because the there's some real interesting facts plots. about the, the history of the IC title. I don't want to dive too deep in it right now but yeah there's some interesting things about it yeah and we'll definitely the intercontinental intercontinental title though just uh, you were asking about what it means it's that's the conjoining of north and south america is what it was supposed to symbolize those were the continents that yeah okay okay yeah intercontinental just to give us some context okay so i guess we'll slide down the list then so, number 10, British Bulldog. Number 9, I know, is one of your personal top two wrestlers. Yes, indeed. We got HBK, the icon, the main event, the showstopper, Sean. The one Michaels. I wanted to see during SummerSlam instead of Goldberg. Versus Ziggler. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the whole world wanted to see that. When you saw Raw, the whole audience went berserk, thinking, oh my god, it's going to happen. And then Sean has to ruin it going... It's not me, kid. It's like, oh, come on. Oh, no. Anyway, so, Shawn Michaels, um, Mm -hmm. number nine on the list. So, from what this is saying, and I know you'll you'll be able to fill in a little bit for me, is that there was a ladder match at WrestleMania 10 where he did not win against Razor Ramon. Here's how people remember this matchup. Okay. A lot of people remember it as Shawn Michaels wrestled a ladder. That's how people remember that match because <laughs> oh my, the Shawn Michaels could. I mean, the okay, one of the greatest compliments you could ever give a professional wrestler is, is something that people have said about Shawn Michaels, saying Shawn could go out to the ring and wrestle a broom and put and steal the show because he could sell for anybody like no other and make them look like a million bucks. Selling, of course, is how you take the abuse that they're giving you as far as punches and kicks and you know, any kind of maneuvers they're doing to you. He sells it like it's the end of the world to him getting this, you know, beat down. Uh, but he makes the person he's fighting look like, you know, unstoppable, incredible. Unless and they're Hulk Hogan. Then he just makes them look absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> go watch, go watch SummerSlam 2006. 
One of the greatest, and, yes. <laughs> and I do, I do like this quote that the the article has in here that he was like the heartbreak kid and did his best work, challenging for the title but not holding it. So I think that really says a lot about what you said of him making everyone else look good and just working his butt off for everybody else. He's well, he's I the mean, best stage mom you could ever ask for in wrestling. Yeah, I mean, at this time, at this time in history, it was 1994. Sean had only been uh, a singles wrestler for about two years now, and uh, this is what put him finally on the map. Was the ladder match at WrestleMania 10? Uh, the gimmick was in real life. Okay, Sean was the Intercontinental Champion at the time. In real life, he actually technically quit slash got fired, and he was still the champion. And the storyline they made was that he was refusing to defend the title. And used to be you had a 30-day limit. You had to defend your title within 30 days. Or every 30 days you had to defend it or you, you were stripped of the belt. And when they actually had let Sean go from the company for a while, uh, they had a battle royal on Monday Night Raw. And Razor Ramon won the title in a battle royal. So he was the new champ. Then Shawn Michaels gets you know clear to come back and... The gimmick they did was, well, I never lost the title, so I'm still the IC champ. And Razor's like, well, I'm the champ. So they put both belts above the ring, and the winner, whoever could get both belts off of the the top, would be the actual undisputed Intercontinental Champion. Okay. Yeah. That was the, the beginning, though, I think, that really put Sean on the map. And he had other title wins uh, against uh, Razor, Jeff Jarrett, and, and others, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, it's hard to say Shawn Michaels always did everything he could to make everyone else look good because Shawn's always going to look out for number one, which I'm not saying that, you know, that's a bad thing. A lot of pro athletes are and have that same mentality. Um, Shawn was not known as the uh, most popular person in the locker room uh, for most of his career. <laughs> right. He wanted to yeah. make himself look good, but he's got to help you look good doing it. He wants to put on the best show he could. Right. Uh Something about Sean to share would be that uh, if you look at his list of uh, championships that he held, he held the tag titles, the uh, world title, the intercontinental title, the European title, etc. He held all these different belts. Um, but if you look at the outcomes for the ones where he lost the titles, he rarely lost the title uh, clean or by actually being pinned or defeated. Uh, a lot of times he would forfeit titles or purposely lay down in a match just to get the belt off of him because he didn't want that belt anymore so he'd give it to somebody else so there'd be a lot of things like that where it was just yeah it was real fishy how he really made sure to not make himself look uh like a loser uh, in the end at all yeah okay um before i ask you your if he deserves to be on here which i'm pretty sure i know your answer i have one question I'm Shoot. just looking at the picture of this, uh, the picture they have of him with the belt, and I'm curious, what's the cage? Is that a, is that what's that's that's Hell in a Cell? No, that's actually 2002. Uh, that's the very first Elimination Chamber match that was at Survivor Series in 2002, and it's uh, it's kind of like War Games if you ever saw WCW stuff where you have uh, it's a it's a structure that covers the entire ring. And there's four uh, pods, one at each turnbuckle, and four wrestlers get into each, one gets into each pod. So there's four on the 
outside. Two wrestlers start, and uh, after a five-minute interval, one of the pods opens and somebody else can join the match. And then you just—it's just an all-out fight. You—it's elimination style, so you have to pin or submit. No DQ, no count out, nothing. And this was for the newly uh, introduced World Heavyweight Title, which basically is the old WCW title, but they brought it back as the World Heavyweight Title. And this was Sean's uh, first year back. He came back at SummerSlam against Triple H in the uh, street fight that we talked about, uh, or the uh, what was it unsanctioned match, not street fight, but. And uh, mm-hmm. he won the World Heavyweight title match. I don't know why they have a picture of him wearing with the World Heavyweight belt talking about the IC title, but yeah. Okay, I was gonna... Okay. So, pretty sure I know your answer is yes, Shawn Michael definitely deserves to be in the top ten. Easily top ten, possibly in top five. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. Now we're getting saucy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well... I guess to kind of go on my own knowledge, I've seen Shawn Michaels wrestle, and I've gone back since I have access to WWE Network currently, thanks to uh, Mr. Junkie here to lend me his password so I could do some research for these things. Um, I watched some of the matches. I didn't watch any of these, but he honestly, it was a lot of fun to watch him wrestle. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's one of the most charismatic, and it was it's crazy to watch some of his matches in the early to mid-90s where, yeah, he really is. He's flying all over the ring, and there's there's interviews I've seen with people going like, you know, sometimes I had to pop him real quick and be like, dude, slow down. Like, I can't keep up with you. You're you're bouncing all over the place, even though he's making them look like a you know million bucks. So definitely one of the better technical wrestlers and showmen I've seen so far watching the, the network stuff. Um, yeah. But moving on, number eight is a wrestler I know a lot about and actually had the opportunity to kind of in a way know when he was alive i talked about that during our our SummerSlam talks but number eight is the warrior himself the ultimate warrior of course yeah. later on, just warrior just yeah. warrior yep the ultimate warrior the face paint the everything and um yeah so he won the title um not don't know who did he who did he win the title against? He was a surprise opponent at SummerSlam '88. Uh, the Honky Tonk Man was the current champion, and he had okay. held the title for I want to say four hundred yeah four hundred fifty four days. So over a year, he held the IC title. And originally, he was supposed to have a match against Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And okay. uh, for some reason, beef. I don't remember if this was when this may have been when Brutus had his parasailing accident. There was a Bruce Bar Beefcake in real life had a parasailing accident where a parasailing person uh, like smacked right into his face, completely crushed his entire face and had to have full reconstructive surgery. But I'm not sure if that's when this happened or it was a year later that happened because he, he almost had two intercontinental title matches and both times he, he, he missed them. Uh, but anyways, at at SummerSlam, they had not announced who was going to be his opponent, and Rick, uh, let's see, uh, Honky Tonk Man's in the ring, gets on the microphone, says, hey, just send anybody, I don't care. And then all of a sudden, Warrior's music hits, the place blows up, Warrior runs in, he hits him with three clotheslines, a flying uh, shoulder block, and then lands on Splash, and then pins him in you know, a matter of seconds. So total squash match for a champion that held the belt for over a year. 
Yeah, <laughs> sounds mm-hmm. like it. So, but, but I mean, that was a warrior match, though. You know, people make fun of Goldberg for having two minute matches in WCW and even recently. But a warrior match, you didn't want to see him wrestle for more than two or three minutes uh, because he just he was not a technical wrestler at all. Uh, he was a muscle, you know, just ripped to the you know ages. But uh, he he did not have a wrestling background. He was not technical in any sense, and he would get blown up sometimes just getting to the ring because of how he would just run like a bat out of hell from the uh, locker room to the ring. Oh, that's because he was I mean, a warrior, though. Yeah, warriors have places to be. And he's a honky boy, so how else and, are you going to get the women to watch? Like, do you see his butt in those, in those, you know, I don't know what we want to call them? Speedos? Yeah, I mean, they're, it's not really a called, speedo, though. They're called wrestling trunks, it's okay? Wrestling trunks. Okay, his butt trunks. in those trunks. <laughs> <laughs> He's got some junk in those trunks. He's a hunky okay. boy. So he didn't need to be technical because he was meant to lure in women like me that like to look at his butts. Well, I mean, he would have been more successful against Andre the Giant than being like, look at my ass. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Andre why you want to Andre. <laughs> Well, it's because Andre the Giant would crack a beer open on those buns, shotgun it, and then throw them out the ring. <laughs> oh, God, I'd pay money to see that. <laughs> I would, too. Let's get a time machine so we can make that happen. Rip Andre. So, one thing I would like to ask you, Mr. Junkie, is the article here notes that the Warrior had a match against Hogan in a winner-takes-all IC versus world title match at WrestleMania Six. Yes. So... I guess they're saying, and I want to see what your opinion is. This article says that it's a, one of the most iconic scenes of WWE's history. Is that accurate? Um, honestly, this was the pinnacle of Warrior's entire career. That was, uh, okay, this match on paper, and for somebody like me who you know, knows the ins and outs of wrestling as much as anybody else could sometimes, Warrior and Hogan, either one, known for their great work in the ring. They were they were able to get money out of people's pockets solely on their promos and their looks. Okay, but they were personality got... more than substance. Yes, and Hogan and Warrior again, not known for having five star matches, and everyone was wondering what's going to happen with these two. How are they going to pull off a main event match that's going to have to go at least 10 minutes, if not more, and make it entertaining when they're mostly known just for punching and a body slam and a leg drop and things like that? But if you go watch this match, it's actually pretty incredible. Um, I was a surprise for everyone that they were able to pull it off, and it definitely did help pass the torch because they were trying to pass the torch from Hogan to Warrior. Warrior was going to be the next guy. He was going to be the guy. Um, and, yeah, it was definitely iconic because he was the reigning Intercontinental Champion, and then it was going to be winner-take-all, IC title versus world title, and he won, and he's holding both the Intercontinental Champ and the WWF title, and he, I think he was the first one to ever do that. Okay. So does he deserve the top 10 slot? I would put him in the top 10, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. Yeah, I mean, Warrior, one of the greatest of all time, uh, all because of, again, just the <laughs> the rage, the charisma, the promos. I mean, some of his promos are, like, almost, like, just you cannot... You'd have to spend a day or two dissecting them to figure out what he was trying to say sometimes. But they were still entertaining as, as you would ever hope to. Okay. So I guess with that, we'll go on to our next guy on the list at number seven, Honky Tonk Man. So you had just talked about him on here, that he had yeah. one of the longest, if not the longest, title reign. Yeah, he was... Uh... Champion for over a year. Um, I think he beat, I want to say he beat Ricky Steamboat for the title. And uh, yeah, he held the title for a very long time. He was, you know, always at house shows, main eventing whenever uh, other champions would be at other shows. Or, uh, you know, he was, he was your classic heel character. And he would find any which way to keep the title. So uh, you could compare him a little bit to Ric Flair where Ric Flair was always called the dirtiest player of the game. Now, Honky Tonk Man was nowhere near the level of Ric Flair, um, and he didn't do, go 60-minute-long uh, matches like Ric Flair would do, but he would go in there, put on a decent match, and then find a way, whether it was to get a count out, get disqualified. He had a guitar that he would smack you know, his opponents on, you know, on the back with or on the head with. Uh, he'd find ways to get his manager to interfere when the ref wasn't looking, and then you know, get a cheap shot in and roll up somebody for a quick pin. So that was what his gimmick was, though. Uh, but just being able to hold the title for that long, that gives him definitely, you know, one of the best of all time. So worthy of his 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 place in the top 10 for sure, then? I would, I would definitely put him in the top 10, yes. Okay. So the he's the one warrior beat for the title, correct? Right. So... I'm going to go ahead and we're going to move on to number six, um, which is Razor Ramon. So Razor Ramon is the one that Shawn Michaels that we had previously talked about faced off with in the ladder match. Yes, it was. Um, I guess something else of note is that Razor as well held the title for about over a year. Uh, I know he held it for a long time. Yeah. Well, uh, it says on well, here. It says combined, combined so I'm assuming yeah. between maybe a couple he, of times in the '90s. So yeah, okay. he lost. He lost the title to. Uh, I know he lost it to Kevin Nash or Diesel. That was his uh, other persona. Uh, he lost it to Jeff Jarrett, and I think he lost it to Goldust as well. But yeah, why? Yeah, Goldust's name ends up finding a way to pop up on our wrestling talk every episode. Exactly. <laughs> You'll never forget the name of. Gold dust. The enigma. <laughs> so, oh, Nan Nancy, I have to say, as a novice, you you must do yourself a favor. Sit down for twenty minutes. Just do a Google search on Gold Dust interviews from the mid nineties. You'll you'll love it. Okay, yeah. that sounds like the type of roller coaster I totally get into. The makeup, the, the, hair. Ma oh. the, the robe, the makeup. Uh, the promos with all types of movie quotes that he would include and, and intertwine into his promos, and he made you wonder what, uh, what, wait, what, what is this guy, or is he a guy, or what is he actually? They, I mean, just so crazy the, the person. Yeah, they made him very androgynous, is a good way to put it, or attempted to. That was the word they used all the time. Yep. 
<laughs> yeah. They attempted androgyny before they truly knew what it was going to be. Oh, one of my favorite moments is whenever he's wrestling a match. Razor Ramon is standing outside watching the match. Goldust unzips the front of his outfit, and he's got a glittered heart glued on his chest, and it says Razor on it. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet, though. That was like a yeah. proposal. Yeah, that just pissed off Ramon. and actually pissed off Scott Hall in real life, too. He didn't like that. <laughs> uh, I was kind of really hoping that Razor's name was Kyle, because I'm looking at this photo, and he legit looks like he punches drywall for a living. <laughs> That's yeah, I could see that. <laughs> Just like put a monster can in one of his hands, and like you can even leave the greased up mullet and the the gold chains he's rocking. That's a Kyle. Yes, I can. I could see that he would be a Kyle. Oh yeah, gold. No, this is gold dust. I'm in. That's gold dust. Yes. <laughs> this is this is like kiss. It's Lady Gaga meets uh Goldfinger. Meets Darth Maul. Yeah, meets Darth Maul. That, thank you. That was the, that was actually the last one I was thinking of. So, yeah, I'm all in because yeah. this looks like the shit show that I need all of. So, thank you. <laughs> I like how we started off talking about Razor Ramon and it ends with us in a conversation about Gold Dust. Man, that guy really has a way of just showing up places. Hashtag Gold Dust. Yeah, I'm going to blame Orton for that one. I mean, you can really say, like, gold dust is basically just, like, gold glitter, and you can't get glitter out of shit, so that would explain why conversation just happens to lead there. So I'm going to lead us back to the list here. Razor Ramon at number six. He definitely, would you say, deserves to be in that top ten slot? Oh, uh, definitely. I mean, he's somebody who should have been world champion. He never was world champion in WWE or F, whatever. I still say WWF. But, yeah, he should have been world champion, in my opinion. But uh, Intercontinental title, he was the first one to win the title four times. That was a very, you know, uncommon thing back then. Nowadays, you know, the titles are kind of, you know, passed around like hot potato like, style. But, so uh, it's like yeah, candy. He, Everybody gets a title. Everyone get You get a title. You get a title. Everyone. It's like Oprah. Yeah. But, of course, he also had the match against Shawn Michaels in the latter match, even though he says, <clears throat> pardon me, to this day he says, I was there, but it was really a match between Sean and the ladder, and I was just there. That's you know, how he remembers it and calls it. Um, but I think he doesn't give himself enough credit because his promos were amazing, and he put on great matches. And he's he's one of those people that, um, if you ever watched the, uh, uh, there's a documentary called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts. Have you heard of that? I've heard of Jake the Snake Roberts. I haven't heard of the, <clears throat> the documentary. Okay. Very good documentary. It's called The Resurrection of Jake Roberts, and it's about uh, Jake Roberts, the man, not the wrestler. It's about um, how he's dealt with battles with addictions, all types of different, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whatever. Uh, talks about him basically, you know, should not be, a, Jake Roberts should not be alive with everything he, he put his body through and did to himself uh, with narcotics and other things. Scott Hall, unfortunately, as well, has fallen down that rabbit hole of dealing with the demons as they, you know, they call it whenever somebody's, you know, struggling with addiction. And uh, you see both of their stories of getting themselves cleaned up. Thanks to Diamond Dallas Page, uh, teaching them how to eat better, take care of themselves, 
to, you know, say clear the stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, you see so much of his fans, people, you know, that he worked with constantly just saying like, this is one of the most brilliant minds in wrestling. It's a shame that he didn't get to have the career he could have had. He had a great career no matter what, but he could have had so much more had he stayed clean. Sorry, things just got real there. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> no. I don't quite not come back with that one with a funny remark. So I think we're going to move on from Razor Ramon to number five. Um, number five on this list is the current AEW title holder who lost his belt. Hugh, Hugh, Hugh with the bubbly, Mr. Chris Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have the Ayatollah of Rock and Roll, as he likes to be called. Chris Jericho, Mr. Y2J, Chris Jericho. Lead singer of Fozzie, Chris Jericho. Nine-time Intercontinental Champion, Chris Jericho. Put some respect on that name, Bubbly Bubbly. Yeah. Honestly, Chris Jericho is a, was a great, and still, I can't say was, because he still is a great wrestler in his own right. I actually recognize the name. The Walls and of Jericho, homie. The, the Walls the of Jericho. Pack. I mean, he has goat on the back of his trunks, and it's it's worthy. I mean, he is considered one of the greatest of all time, and yeah. he he's proven it many times as Intercontinental Champion and other champions as well. But yeah, the guy has just had it all. Um, can talk, can wrestle, can just make everything look real, believable, and. At any moment, he could go from face to heel, and you're going along with them either way. Yeah, he's entertaining, and I can say that as someone who hasn't followed wrestling closely at all for the last 15, 20 years. Um, I know Chris Jericho from other things he does because he puts himself out there to promote himself, but also his sport. Which is a great thing to see out there, just like John Cena out there promoting himself and his sport and being an ambassador the best they can. Chris Jericho was always that way when I was growing up and through as a kid and through high school. Uh, Chris Jericho was that one that was kind of that, that guy for us, in a sense. Yeah. Oh, no, I've been a fan of Jericho. could see him. Yes. And his yeah. tweet back at Arby's the other day was amazing. <laughs> what did he tweet at Arby's? So... He lost the belt. Arby's said they could make him one, and he said, go ahead and keep your cardboard for your sandwiches. <laughs> They're going to dig at their roast beef, calling it cardboard, and I laughed. It was good. Yeah. I mean, when's the last time you legitimately <clears throat> ate at an Arby's, though? Um, maybe a month or two ago. I actually enjoy Arby's. Really? I like I their like curly Arby's. fries. That is as far as I'll go. Their curly fries, straight fire. Other than that, I don't touch the food. It depends on what you get. Uh, you gotta know what to get on their menu to have a good time. Man, uh, I, if I'm like cheddars, but they've just gotten really stingy lately. Are you getting like less beef and more cheddar? I'm getting more bread. Yeah, <laughs> that's all no. I feel like I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah. When they do with, with roast Hawaiian. beef, mm. with roast beef, anything like there has to be a balance because roast beef in and of itself can be very overpowering if there's too much of it but then also if there's not enough like it's just the balance has to be there so i just i've been burned by arby's i haven't been to an arby's in years i've been burned far too many times so now i just get their curly fries when someone for some reason decides to take me to an arby's 
I view Arby's much uh-huh. like I view Whataburger. It depends on the restaurant you go to. It's very dependent on that particular one you go to. See, and you've had this argument with me, and yet here I am, a Texan, for seven years now, and I still don't like Whataburger. And I've That's been fine. to several. Oh. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. It's because you haven't found your item on the menu yet. Everybody has their item on the menu. Their we'll breakfast is okay. That, that's, that's what I'll end that on before I end up getting, like, annexed out of Texas. Their breakfast is all right. I do like their breakfast and that it's fresh. So please don't kick me out of the country of Texas. I deserve to be here. I have my papers. I'm legal, I promise. <laughs> So we need to, we need to make a hashtag Nancy hates Waterburger trend now. Yeah, no, because then people do it on Twitter where I'm not going to see it. <laughs> no, I don't want to get boycotted by Whataburger loyalists. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Whataburger white knights are some of the worst people on the internet, no, and I know and because I'm friends right. with a few. Eh, it, it's it's a different type. Are pretty bad. No, I will well, you fight know. you on this because. Like the white knights for Whataburger, they're Texas bred, Texas stubborn, Texas elitist. People from like in and out, they're like, no, it's just like it's so good. They're but they have that like Californian ways around it. And I would much rather just not listen to a Californian. But Texans, if like you really upset them, they get annoying. Californians well, me... you can kind of tune out. Texans, but no, they make themselves Whataburger heard. is Chicago's finest burger. And that is, you know, it makes me so happy that that's a thing because being a Chicagoan and all the butt hurt Texans, it's like, hey, hey it's our bitch now. <laughs> well, let me let me just say to say to the let me just say to the CEO of Whataburger, who I know is listening to this show, Pop Culture Junkie loves Whataburger. So does and, half uh, of send, the thing. You, you can you can send uh, send however many burgers you want to my PO box. It's in the uh, it's in my description on my videos. There we go. All right. And, and if you want to hook us up with that uh that sweet sweet sponsorship, you can sponsor half an episode. Don't worry, I'll be the only half that benefits. Or you can make a believer out of me, and maybe one day I'll find an item on the menu because of the glorious sponsorship. I'm not against change. <laughs> so so I like how right. we talked we talked about Razor Ramon, and we segued over to Goldust quickly. We talked about Jericho, and we're now we're talking about Arby's Burgers. and Waterburger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, course, Jericho, thank you. Yeah. We're in for a show today. It's just that's what it is. It's it's one of those We're kind of days. Live, we got a lot folks. of feelings. We got a lot of feelings. We got to get out, and I'm I'm for it. But maybe since I'm for it, we should get to number four on the list. We will. Adrian I want to find out. I want to find out first. So Chris Jericho, he is worthy of his top ten slot. Most definitely. Yeah. All right. Pedro Morales, Nancy, lead us over. So, apparently Pedro Morales was the first WWE superstar to hold the IC title twice. Not doing it once, but doing it twice and looking so nice. So, it's the longest combined history at 600 days? My dude, that's almost two years combined. That's amazing. So, And he won the Triple Crown. Yeah, he's he's got quite the repertoire here. So, man, I don't remember him winning the Belmont, but that's awesome. <laughs> I like that he's like number four held it. He's like, I don't remember this, but he apparently did the thing not once but twice for long periods of time. So, why don't you give us some insight, Mister PC and J? 
So this individual is a little bit before my time even. So I know just little bits about the person. But yes, he won the title two times. And Triple Crown meant he won all the titles that they had in their company at the time, which was the tag titles, the IC title, and the main title, the WWF title. So he was also the world champion. Um, but that's the extent of my knowledge because I did not follow a whole lot of Pedro Morales uh, stuff back in the day. I knew the name all the time because they would constantly reference him uh, for different uh, Intercontinental Champions, being like, oh, look, you know, this guy, he's going to be one of the greatest, just like, uh, you know, Randy Savage, Bret Hart, Pedro Morales. And you'd always hear that name pop up. And I'd have to go, like, actually look in a book back then before we had the internet and say, like, who wait. the heck is this guy? Wait, wait, what's a book? This thing with letters, sometimes they're not in the right order, though. Wait, like, the letters aren't in the right order? Like a typo? Yeah. Or, like... I mean, it's supposed to be A, B, C, right? You know, that's the order, right? But I don't know. Okay, hold on. You know, here's the thing. And this is something that has drove me up a wall since I've thought about it. And it's a total another segue. <laughs> but... <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Why does the alphabet need to be in the order that we've set it to. And not only do we have it in that specific order, but then we also organize things based on that order, but there's no logical reason for us to go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, other than the fact that you can kind of make a song that's kind of catchy about it. But then you don't get Elemento. I know, you don't get Elemento. I want to know what an Elemento P looks like. <laughs> you gotta respect <laughs> Elemento, though. Yeah. But, My issue with the alphabet isn't even the fact of how it's arranged. It's the fact that it's just a weird amount of letters. Yeah, they had to add an extra one for it to be 26, not 25. Yeah. Like, so, do we really need Q? I mean, yes. Because we can I do mean, like C's I mean, and I... U's. What do you what do you got against Qbert? It's one of my favorite games of all time. Whoa, I didn't say nothing bad about Qbert. I was just talking about the letter. <laughs> but you don't get Qbert without Q. You gotta have Q. So Pedro Morales. Yeah, my bad. I just I had some alphabet feelings apparently. I just needed to let out. <laughs> well when, knowing that he won the triple crown, he was the first one to do it. First one to hold the IC title twice. Number four, top ten, good to go? I would say for those accomplishments, yes. I mean, it's hard to, you know, there's so many champions nowadays uh, in the last 40 years, and you could easily say some other ones worthy of a little bit higher than him, but being able to say first to win it twice and for the longest period of time that he held the title, and then he plus the fact that he was the first to win all three titles. He was the first to accomplish that, which later on we see so many legends that have done that. So I can see why they put him in the in this spot here. So I would say fine for top ten, but mine he wouldn't make the top ten. I don't think. Okay. Okay. So with that, we're gonna move on down to number three. Number three um, makes me want to snap into a slim gym. Dig it. It is the one, the only, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho, Ooh, yeah. Macho Man. Oh, yeah, brother. 
I mean, I mean we can say hell yeah, bro. Who didn't stand in front of their mirror and and wave your fingers around in the air, point to the sky, and give that ooh yeah, ooh yeah, drop on your brother or sister, whoever. Yeah, I know I did. I loved Macho Man as a kid. I mean, he was amazing. He really was a savage kind of character that just you didn't know what he was going to do. He was crazy. He was over the top, flamboyant. The outfits, the robes, the just the guy was amazing, and his promo was incredible. So okay, I'm the, looking at this, this picture. picture alone. Yes, the, uh-huh. I'm looking at this picture, and it is like the amalgamation of all things '80s. 90s not taking yourself serious he is like the definition of a troll before trolls were really a thing and i'm for it this is art <laughs> this is renaissance level art this image right here and i Macho need it framed on my wall of me. I, I need it framed i need it on my wall i need to look at this and pray to him every night before i go to bed <laughs> so Macho Man held the channel the title for 414 days and defended it against Jake the Snake Roberts, um, George the Animal Steel, Ricky Steamboat. Um, yeah, so he held it for a while. Is there anything on those defenses or matches that really stand out to you? Well, keep in mind, of course, this is uh, this was like 1986. Uh, when he first won the title, I believe, and then he carried it through WrestleMania three, and then he lost it to uh, Ricky Steamboat in what is still considered the, if not uh, one of the greatest matches in the history of WrestleMania or even wrestling. Period. People still say, um, and I would, I was one of those for many years when I first started watching wrestling. I saw WrestleMania three, and would watch that match over and over. And it's a thing of beauty. Anybody that is. Uh, a hardcore wrestling fan or zero you know, wrestling fan would still find a way to appreciate it because the match is, is pretty much flawless. Um, that being said, uh, yeah, I mean, he had uh, a long title reign, but this was back in the day when you had long title reigns. You didn't have a you didn't have weekly television like Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, anything like that, to where you could have a title defense every week and possibly lose it. You would have four pay-per-views a year. They were still starting out with their pay-per-views. And then you'd see Saturday Night Main Event uh, every so often, maybe every every month or every other month they do one. Or, you know, sometimes you get a few in a week or a few in a month, whatever. But that was a random time you'd see the uh, title being defended. Um, so, yeah, you would have long title reigns, which is good because it gave the title more prestige, I think, as well. But definitely the oh. greatest... You know, defense that people are going to remember is going to be his his match against uh, Steamboat at WrestleMania. Okay. And Macho Man's worthy of being in this top ten list. You feel? Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Macho Man is one of those characters that transcended wrestling, and as I led into it, like I said, I remember him most as a kid from Slim Jim commercials. Well, yeah, he, I mean, he was like a cartoon a Slim character and... that came to life, and. Everyone knew who Macho Man was. You didn't have to mm-hmm. be a wrestling fan. You knew who Macho Man was, though. Yeah. Everyone knew Macho Man Randy Savage, man. May he yeah. rest in peace. Well, let's let's talk real quick. WrestleMania three is famous because it was the uh, main event. the 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 show was sold on one match. There was <laughs> like twelve matches that took place on the card. 
but the there was only one match that was the selling point for that card, which was Andre versus Hogan for the world title. And this match was on, you know, somewhere in the middle of the card and it stole the show. And there was no way that any match could follow that uh, and be successful. And the match against Hogan and, and uh, Andre, uh, you go watch it. I mean, Andre was already well past his prime. He was, you know, he's seriously injured. His back was killing him. Couldn't do much of anything in the ring. Hogan had to do everything to try to get the match to look decent. And I'm not saying it was a terrible match, but you have Steamboat and Savage who, uh, Macho Man was a perfectionist, if you didn't know about this. And he would plan out everything about the match ahead of time. And they planned this match out weeks in advance, rehearsing it. So that's why it is so, you know, crisp and flawless. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize he was so much of a, a perfectionist on it, but I guess that kind of makes sense. His matches always looked really good. Yeah. So, moving down the list, we're going to hit number two. Number two is a wrestler, I won't lie, I really don't know much about him other than <laughs> his name. Um, on the list here, number two is The Miz. All um, I know of The Miz is that he's supposedly like an asshole. Um, he, but he also really likable. Well. Like, he's a he likable asshole. Like, I know he has his own show. Um, I know on WWE television itself, on like Raw, he has like Miz TV, but he actually has his own reality show with his wife as well. I know that. But I know nothing about The Miz as a wrestler. I actually don't think I've ever seen him wrestle. So uh, let's let's wind the clock back to the early 2000s. Uh, who here ever watched The Real World? Well, yeah, I did. Okay, I never watched it. I see it, you know, flipping through channels. But uh, that's the that was the very first time uh, Mike Mazarian, aka The Miz, uh, appeared on television. He was a cast member in The Real World. That was where he first started any, anything on TV. What season? <laughs> Uh, that I couldn't tell you. I can't remember. It was like maybe 2004, 2003. All right, so late there. Mid, the mid-numbered seasons. Got it. Yeah. But that's where he started, and he was on that. And then they had a uh, a reality show on WWE called Tough Enough, and he tried out for Tough Enough, and he didn't make it. He he you know was one of the participants, but he didn't win the actual reality show. But... The reality show, Tough Enough, was meant for finding all these different superstars or potential superstars. And even though you didn't win the main contest, you were still brought in with maybe a developmental contract to be like, you know what, we see something in you. We're going to put you in developmental, you know, train you, get you to, you know, where we think you can go. And then, you know, maybe you'll get a shot at getting TV time and whatnot. And he really has... Huh? What's up? I'm sorry. It's like, kind of like the uh, UFC's The Ultimate Fighter show, where it's like uh, rookies and amateurs yeah, totally. scrapping it out to get on the bill. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, tough enough. Even if you're not familiar, it's it's a reality show. It's a lot like other reality shows, but it's uh, it starts off with a house full of like let's say twelve you know contestants. They have to live together, train together, wrestle, and then they get put into these wacky you know contest or some kind of gimmick. Uh, tournament things and then every episode somebody gets sent home and uh he was one of the participants who got sent home at some point but 
I will say this. He has really been a very big surprise in my view, in my opinion, because he came in as a reality television star from the real world stuff. And so I, I think he wanted originally to be an actor. I think that's what he kind of wanted to be before he became wrestler or tried to be a wrestler. And when he came in, if you coming in to a wrestling company and you're known as, you know, TV star, reality star, you're not going to be taken seriously by the the real wrestlers. And he took a lot of crap from everybody. He was, you know, hazed galore by lots of uh, old school seasoned wrestlers <clears throat> and, you know, humiliated a lot. And gotta say, you know what? Some people can go in, they'll, you know, complain and whine. Others will just be like, you know what? Let me pay my dues and, you know, make them have to respect me. And he's definitely done that. Because he's surprised me as he's gotten better in the ring, on the mic, and uh, now he's he's been in like four different Marine movies. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, okay, yeah. That isn't that whose who's franchise is the Marine? Who started that one? The very first one was John Cena. Okay. Yeah, the first one was John Cena, which to me it was kind of a. It seemed like it was ripping off uh, uh, Commando. Okay. The old Arnold one, yeah. Gotcha. All right. But they've had like four, or no, they had like three different people play the Marine in, I don't, you know, different movies. And then he's been in the, like the last four straight ones. Okay. So I think they're up to like seven now. I don't know how many they've made. <laughs> oh, jeez. But Shawn Michaels Direct- was in one of them too. Okay, no, that's okay. That's okay. So it's a WWE movie franchise, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's WWE. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So The Miz is worthy of a top 10 spot? Yeah, he's and he's won the title. Uh, <laughs> I think he's tied now with uh, Jericho. I think they both have nine times. And Jericho has mm-hmm. actually come out saying on like Twitter and uh, other social media saying like, Hey, I think I need to go back to WWE and just win that title a couple more times so that Miz can't break my record. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? He very well may do it. Mm-hmm. So I guess one of the things here, um, and just in the article I want to highlight is that the Miz spotted that the tight IC title has, was not being given the respect that it deserved and set about putting things right his own way. Apparently he's enjoying his eighth run with the belt. Currently? So is he the current IC champion, The Miz? No, right now the Intercontinental champion is uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Okay, so this just may be, as of the time of the article, he was in in the middle of it then. So, but The Miz is a good champion for it and worthy of his top 10 slot, you said, hey? Yeah, uh, we haven't really talked about this. We kind of talked a little bit about it in our SummerSlam talk, but... The the Intercontinental title was given the nickname the Workhorse title, as in whoever is your great in-ring worker should wear that title because they're considered somebody that can put on great matches. So we already talked about Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, Randy Savage, The Miz, definitely. Uh, that was a belt that you would put on somebody that could go in and put on a great match to really you know highlight the, the show if you need a really good match and that's you know where the icy title was always put on your really good workers not always there's some people in there i would definitely never have put the belt on but that was you know the the gimmick it was given gotcha 
Well, I guess with that, Mr. Junkie, are there any other interesting facts about the title belt you've got for us before we get to our number one? Yes, let's see here. So, first of all, y'all will uh, definitely like this. So, I mentioned earlier that the title was established on September 1st, 1979. So, we just passed the 40th anniversary of it, or 40th birthday of it. And Mm -hmm. the inaugural champion was... WWE Hall of Famer uh, Pat Patterson. Okay, he was the very first Intercontinental Champion. He won the he won the title in a tournament in Rio de Janeiro. But, okay. but, what if I told you guys that that was completely fictional? Um, it would sound like something WWE slash F would do. Good because it is that there was no tournament in Brazil. It was never anything like at all. He simply showed up on television with the title, and they gave it the backstory because hey, this is 1979. There's no Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. There's no uh, internet at all to where you can say, hey, I'm over here in this arena, and so and so just won the title and blasted on you know social media. So how would you know? So you're take, saying take, there was yeah. no fact checking at the time. I mean, how, how would you go about it unless you were able to hop on a plane and go fly over there and interview people saying, hey, was there a tournament here last night? Did you guys see a whole bunch of wrestlers? <laughs> they may be thinking you're talking about Lucha Libre in a sense. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. So, that, no, hearing that, it doesn't surprise me that WWE would fabricate some expansive backstory behind the brand new title well because you had other companies like i said before about like a uh, like awa nba uh like nba they had the united states title and that had been around for several years before this and that was considered their their middle tier title uh and so wwe was like we got to come up with something to make this title seem worthy of something so let's start off with some kind of you know backstory for it but we won't actually spend the money to do it. We'll just say it happened, and there you go. But isn't there still a the USA title? Isn't that still a thing? There is, but that's actually, you know, the US title they have now is the one that it's basically, they bought WCW in 2001, and that's mm-hmm. where the US title was from. Okay. But they, they stopped using the WCW United States title at the end of 2001 and then like a year or so later they came out with the WWE United States title and that's you know the one that they've used to this day so it doesn't doesn't necessarily have a lineage from the uh, you know the, the older one okay maybe just name alone <clears throat> and that's it okay okay yeah um what other facts have you got for us on this title belt well, in uh, 1999, we had something very historic happen, and that's the Intercontinental title became the very first major men's title to be held by a woman in WWE, because the ninth wonder of the world, China, won the Intercontinental title from uh, defeating Jeff Jarrett in a good housekeeping match at No Mercy in 99. Interesting. Yes. So, so, how did that come about? 
Well, uh, we talked a little bit about this before um, on the uh, SummerSlam talk, how for SummerSlam 99, one of the original plans was to have China challenge Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF title uh, in the main event. And then, of course, that didn't happen. We had a triple threat match with Triple H and Mankind. But later on, just a couple months later, China is challenging for the Intercontinental title. The way they did it is they had a, they had a sign-up sheet in the hallway at one of the arenas, and Billy Gunn, who was a member of D-Generation X, part of the whole DX with uh, Triple H and uh, Road Dogg and Xbox. Shawn Michaels used to be part of it, but he was out of the, out of the company at the time. Quatch chop, and, suck it. Yep, hashtag suck it. And uh, Billy Gunn sees the list. He wants to write his name down. He's like, wait right here. I got to go get a pen. And he runs away. China grabs a pen out of her trunks and signs her name. And that's how they started the gimmick of her challenging for the IC title. And, of course, they did the gimmick of Jeff Jarrett saying, you're a woman, you can't win this, and things that, you know, you could not get away with saying nowadays with the whole Me Too and everything else, you know, nowadays with the women's revolution they've had with WWE and so much. But, uh, yeah, you had uh, just every little uh, worst thing you could say to a woman, (laughs) he said, uh, as far as their storyline. And uh, the good housekeeping match they did was uh, basically they had everything from the kitchen, uh, ironing boards and sinks and whatnot. And uh, yeah, just anything you could think of that would be considered very degrading. <laughs> um, but it was basically a hardcore match kind of way to put it. Okay. Uh, but one interesting thing to share with you about that, just share with the audience is, uh, if you're not familiar with Jeff Jarrett, uh, he famously was refusing to drop the title to her uh, because his contract was ending with WWE, and he technically did not have to wrestle that night without uh, getting paid uh, whatever he wanted. And he held up Vince for money, <laughs> saying, I'm not going out there unless you pay me some money because technically my contract ended like the night before or something like that, and he had just signed for a new contract with WCW. And so uh, Vince had to cut him a check, and then he was like, all right, let's go out there and get you that title. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I actually did not know that. That is a fun fact. So, has a woman since China held this belt? No, there's been no other women holding men's titles at all since China. Do you think there ever will be again? I think they've had chances where that could have happened. I think... um, a lot of people joked about Ronda Rousey because, you know, Ronda Rousey is such a big name and such a badass and that would be believable that she could legitimately take on some of the men. And that was the thing about China was I loved China. I thought she was an incredible wrestler and she was, you know, she was more intimidating looking than some of the men at the time. Yes, and she was. I would be I'd rather fight some of the guys back then versus her. And that's, you know, you know, pretty crazy to say, but. No, if you see China, it's like, whoa, no, she could kick my ass in a heartbeat. And, uh, yeah, I think Ronda Rousey, yeah, she could totally kill me in a heartbeat, but just one punch probably. So, yeah, uh, Ronda Rousey could easily be a believable, you know, men's title belt holder. Um, Becky Lynch, I think, if they hadn't uh, cooled down her character recently uh, so much in the last year, 
I think she could have easily been like, you know what? I don't want to go for the women's title. I want to take on Brock Lesnar or something. Let's see that happen. I would love to see that match. I was actually about to ask you if you thought Becky Lynch would be someone that could do it after having myself seen her wrestle a couple of times now. I liked her character. I actually do really like her character of the man. I do. I think it's awesome. Yeah, and hey, why not? Be the man. And just to put that out there, I saw something that um, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair are teaming up against Bailey and Sasha Banks for a tag match. Oh yeah, that's on Raw. Because at the next pay-per-view, um, you basically had the, the four of them are considered the four horsewomen. Um, mm-hmm. That's their moniker they had in uh, NXT. And at the next pay-per-view, you have Bailey versus uh, Charlotte and Becky versus Sasha. I won't go too much into that. I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's actually going to be an interesting match. The four yeah, horsewomen. I like it. That'll be interesting. And if it's on Raw, that means I'll actually probably watch it. There you go. So... I guess um, let's keep going with some facts if we've got any more. So we talked about Chris Jericho, and mm-hmm. Chris Jericho is a nine-time Intercontinental Champion in the WWE. But uh, just uh, last year, I believe it was, at the uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion, uh, yeah, it was 2018, he challenged uh, the IWGP Intercontinental Champion. That was their, their title. And he defeated him for the title belt, so he could be considered a 10-time IC champion, even though one belt is not part of you know, WWE. But interesting that he won another Intercontinental title, even though it's WWE. Yeah, that is definitely a fun fact. And I think, as we mentioned while talking about him, he did just win another Wrestling Promotions Championship, too. Yep. Uh Something that I think people need to always uh, remember about the IC title is it is very synonymous with the ladder because there's been so many ladder matches for the Intercontinental title. And the very first ladder match was not the WrestleMania 10 match that most people remember. Some people know this. It's uh, been more known now lately. But for the longest time, this has kind of been the uh, the missing ladder match because it was not on a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. It was at a house show. Uh, but there was a house show where Bret Hart was the Intercontinental Champion, and he defended the title against Shawn Michaels. And uh, the only reason they did this match was this was before SummerSlam 92, and Bret Hart was pitching the idea of a ladder match against uh, Bulldog. uh, I'm sorry, he was pitching a ladder match against Shawn Michaels for the SummerSlam show uh, to Vince. But Vince was, for whatever reason, was like, what the hell is a ladder match? Like... It's not that hard. You hang a belt above the ring and grab it. But he was like, I don't get it. And Bret Hart's father owned a wrestling company in Canada, and they had ladder matches up there. And so Bret was like, look, if I get somebody to wrestle me in this, will you at least watch it? And then you can tell what it is. He's like, so he went to Sean, and this is before Bret and Sean ever had any heat between each other. That's a famous rivalry in real life. Um, But he went to him, said, hey, will you do this match? And Sean's always like, all right, let's do it. He'll do anything. And they had the first ladder match at a house show. That's, that is interesting. And I guess actually that's a good way to bring us to number one on the list on the list here. Um, number one on the list that they have here on from Mirror is Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, the yep. match that they're really talking about in this, we covered extensively when we talked about SummerSlam. In fact, I believe this was your number one match on the list. 
or this one. No, you flipped this one. You flipped this one. This was your number two because your number one was the match against Mr. Perfect. Right. Um, this was the one WWE ranked as number one. Yes, the so, one against Bulldog, right? Yes. So instead of talking about that match, because we've already done that a lot, let's talk about the second reign and how he got the title on that one against uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Okay. Well, um, it was in January of 92. Bret Hart was champ, and uh, he lost the title at a house show to the Mountie. Uh, we talked about the Mountie when we were talking about the uh, loser spends the night in jail match. Uh, yes, we did. SummerSlam 91. Yes, and, don't drop uh, Yes, don't drop it. You'll get shocked. But yeah, he lost the title to the Mountie. Um, he was actually uh, sick at the time. He was... He was uh, from what I remember hearing, it was like he had a, a fever and should not have been, you know, wrestling. But he was so ill, they wanted him to drop the belt uh, to the Mountie. So he loses the belt at the Royal Rumble, which was just like a week or so later. Mountie loses the title to Roddy Roddy Piper at a surprise matchup. And Piper, that was his first, uh, at the time, that was his first and only title he ever held in uh, WWE. Years later, he, he won the tag belts with uh, Ric Flair, uh, like 2003, I think, something like that. That's another odd <clears throat> matchup. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Piper won the title at uh, Rumble, and then Bret Hart uh, was now back in action. And since he didn't get to have his rematch against the Mountie, he now considered himself still number one contender and challenged uh, Piper. And these two put on a really good match at WrestleMania 8. Uh, they knew each other from working in uh, Brett's uh, father's company because Piper had, had gone through that area, that territory for a while. Okay. And they knew each other, you know, from that. So, but yeah, they put on a great match. It's one of the, one of the best, easily. Okay. Yeah, it's saying here that, you know, the match quality he afforded to the title lifted it to a point that it could have rivaled the world championship for entertainment value when he was the yeah. champion. Um, yeah. It also actually notes that Bret Hart introduced the latter match to WWF. The match itself between Piper, if you go and watch it, um, during this time, and WWF has always been really weird, um, well, weird's a, a, a wrong word, I guess, but they've been picky when it comes to, I guess, acknowledging that they're an actually actual wrestling company. I think sometimes they, they purposely forget they're a wrestling company and what all involves, you know, with wrestling. Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, case in point, like, in the late 2000s, Vince McMahon, uh, his wife, Linda, started wanting to go into the politic game. And that's where we started the whole PG era stuff, because, you know, how can she go into politics if they're like, oh, don't you, aren't you married to that guy that runs that, that wrestling company with all the, the TNA and the, you know, the chair shots and the blood matches and all this stuff, you know, all that dirty arcade, you know, barbaric stuff. So Is that's that why we don't we... see wrestlers like Mankind anymore? Well, that's, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, The Fiend is a good comparison to Mankind, but. Yes, that's why we don't get things as extreme as the Attitude Era was anymore. Yeah, that's, we don't you know, get the part Undertaker of it. choke slamming mankind through a cage anymore. Or the, under, or the Undertaker trying to embalm Stone Cold Steve Austin while he's still alive. That actually happened on a Monday Night Raw. 
Notice the Undertaker, the center of both of these things. Or okay, how about this? How about Valvina's almost getting his penis chopped off on live television? Oh geez, I Wait, actually forgot. Come again? That <laughs> hey, Nancy's back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys, you guys were having a great rift, and I didn't want to interrupt it, but you piqued my attention at penis getting cut off. So I'm gonna need some elaboration on that. Please and uh, thank there, you. There, there was an Asian uh, group of wrestler, a group of Asian wrestlers, uh, an Asian stable of wrestlers uh, called Kayantai. Okay, that was their group, and Val Venus is uh his character was a porn star that was his gimmick that he was a porn star uh obviously val venus take the v put a p val penis basically and the gimmick was the manager of the kayantai had this very attractive asian wife and val venus uh famously tricked her into being in one of his latest movies and that upset the manager obviously because he basically banged his wife and so Kaintai kidnapped Val Venus, and that's all you see. You see them kidnap him and take him to the back, and the announcers are like, oh my gosh, what's going on? What's going on? What's going to happen? We cut backstage, and we see Val Venus is being held. He's standing. They have members of Kaintai on either side of him holding his arms out. They have censored his ass. They've distorted his ass because they, they pulled his trunks down, and the manager is holding a katana blade. <laughs> And he's like, now I'm going to choppy choppy your pee pee. And he swings down to chop. <laughs> yes, to literally chop his dick off. And they cut to black, and that's how the show ends. <laughs> Here's the thing the next week on Raw, the next week on Raw, Valvinus comes out along with John Wayne Bobbitt, if you remember the name. Oh my goodness. Yes. Do you remember John Wayne Bobbitt is? Okay. Yes. They come out, and <clears throat> the announcer goes, hey, Val Venus, so how did you manage to get away from them? He goes, I owe it all to shrinkage. <laughs> oh. So he was able God. to shrink it before it got shocked. <laughs> then he comes out with John Wayne Bobbitt. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That, yeah, they're buddies. Yeah, they're, the they're buddies. Yeah. And shrinkage. Oh. The only thing I'm taking away from this novice's guide is chop chop pee pee and shrinkage. So thank you for that. You know what? On, <laughs> My pleasure. On, on that note, I think we're going to come to a close on this one, Mr. <laughs> Junkie. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a gem. I need a minute to recuperate. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Junkie. Yes. Um, Thank you. This is a you delight. Any, uh, any videos or anything you'd like us, uh, you'd like to direct our listeners to watch of yours in particularly out there today? Oh, well, you guys can always check me out on YouTube. Pop, uh, I can't talk right now. Pop Culture Junkie on YouTube. Uh, you'll easily find me on there. You can uh, follow me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and so forth. All my links are all in the description of every, of my, every one of my uh, recordings and videos. And uh, if you enjoyed the wrestling talk, Check me out because I'll be doing a, a full prediction video for the coming up uh, Clash of Champions pre-review, and I'll be doing a spoilers recap and results following that show later in that evening. So if you like prediction videos, recap videos, check them out. They're all on YouTube. I'll be posting those every time. And along with my usual uh, Mystery Mini Mondays, where we unbox different blind boxes, blind bags every Monday. You never know. And then on top of that, Wrestle Talk 
every so often whenever I just feel like venting. <laughs> uh, you'll see some of those as well. Plus my new episodes of On Location that I've been doing for the last few months now, checking out uh, local stores around here for deals, pop hunting, mystery mini hunting, clearance stuff, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. Those are fun. Those are fun to see you like on the scene. Um, and I do, I do enjoy watching those. I think they're I one of my favorites them. so far. Thank you. Thank you. Just That's posted one about the uh, Spirit of Halloween store the other day. That was a fun one. I, I do need to go. I got to start. I have to start stocking up on all my Spirit Halloween stuff because it's it's September. So that means that it's officially Halloween. Let's go. Go. <laughs> definitely go check out the Spirit store now. They have, it feels like a little mini haunted house when you go in there. They've got a, uh, like, they've got LED screens or just plasma screens uh, standing upright. And you go into this little, cavern looking thing and you get to see the sharks attacking you and other uh underwater creatures it's really cool yeah That's let's cool. go i know i'm spending my off day tomorrow let's go so i guess in closing this out i do want to say um this is going to be the last novices guide for a little while um mainly because we want to move as miss nancy said it's september so it's officially time for halloween so look forward to some Halloween segments coming up spoopy as well. Spoopy stuff, let's go! Mr. Junkie, when it comes yay. to Spoopy, I know that's one of your elements, and I may have you come on during this time, and we may talk some horror flicks. Let's go. Oh, absolutely. I, I won't be and... the novice in this one. So, And speaking of Halloween, if I can drop in something else uh, for all you listeners out there who like free stuff, and if you haven't checked out my YouTube channel yet, Make sure you definitely check it out in October because I will be announcing my fifth annual Halloween Junkie contest. Wow, it's been five already. I remember your first. Yep. And they're getting better and better and the prize boxes are getting better every year. And when that video yeah. does come out, we'll make sure that we get it out to y'all as well. We'll get some links out. So once again, Mr. Junkie, thank you so much for joining us for this and we'll see you for the spoopy. Absolutely. Thanks for letting me on and uh Thank you guys for doing great. Keep it up. Well, that was a conversation. <laughs> it was a great conversation. You really only came around in that second end there just because you heard about the choppy choppy to pee pee. <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> <sighs> uh, things that are going to uh, make me happy for a long time. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I guess from that, I guess I'm going to go into something that we're trying out with a new segment. New segment? What? Well, yeah. Why not? We'll try something out. We're not going to do this a whole lot. I think this is going to be kind of a once in a while type thing, probably. But tentatively, I guess we're calling this stupid things. Yes, because we all know there's a lot of stupid things out there on the internet. We pretty much live and breathe stupid things every single day. So we decided to hone in on a couple of them this week. Yeah. So where do you want to start? Which one's the most stupid thing of the week? Harassing a judge or a debate over a controller button? I say let's start with the judge. Because okay. so, really, how about some context? So this year in the voice acting world of anime, you've had a shakeup in the Me Too movement, so to speak. 
Vic, big Nagna voice actor of Broly, name I can't pronounce, so we just call him Vic, was fired from anime, from Funimation, fired from Rooster Teeth because allegations of sexual harassment and assault, inappropriate contact with fans. Vic countered by filing his own lawsuit of defamation against Jamie Marshy, Monica Rial and her fiancé, and Funimation. Last week, it went to court. Jamie Marshy's charges were all thrown out. His attorney was made to look like an idiot. Um, 30-day ruling on the rest of it. And Vic's fans aren't happy. So Why aren't they happy? So <laughs> I want to give a little context to Vic fans. These guys are supporting the guy, which is fine. They can support whoever they want until there's actual evidence, I guess, in their eyes other than he said, she said, no proof. Um... They started to go fund me. It's almost at $500,000 for this guy. I mean, you never That's... actually will have to work again. But they're Ridiculous. mad because charges were thrown out. So Vic fans, instead of, you know, just letting it be, understanding that judges are impartial, make rulings based on the facts provided to them and the evidence based on rules within the law, they decided to go to Facebook and comment on a nine-year-old Facebook post. For this judge on his page. Oof. Nine years? Oh my goodness. That just means that he's... Oh, so he's basically just been deceased in the world of the internet because that's way too long of a time to have any type of relevancy. But you know what? I'm sure he may have a personal page, but on his public page for his district, it hasn't (laughs) had a post since 2010. His... Public judgy page. <laughs> I want to highlight three, maybe four. Yeah, four. Four comments to let you all understand how stupid these people are. The first one, I'm not going to say names, just the first comment says, man, way to side against Vic. He had all the evidence that there was conspiracy, and yet you basically gave him the loss. I might have to vote you out when elections start. There's tons of evidence there is conspiracy against him, all because he is a white male Christian. Quick side note, the judge is also a white male Christian. Just so we have extra context to the stupidity. So, and I think it's beautiful looking at these posts, because we have a post from 2010, and then seven years ago, there's a comment, and then next one, boom. Three days ago. Yeah. He's going viral, so to say. (laughs) So, I want to read the second one. All right. Here we go. More stupidity. Clearly, a woman who faked not receiving a jury summons letter despite clear evidence to the contrary and laughed about it is innocent. Because you say so. You're such an inspiring judge. Hey, while we're at it, you mind letting Manfred von Karma go when he doesn't want any bullets extracted from his body because ballistics marking isn't a relevant point about a murder by pistol. Weird flex, but okay. That is one heck of a slippery slope like red herring type of argument. Like, you're really pulling at the strings for that type of, like, argument to be made. Yeah, so guess what? Evidence that shows someone maybe 
received a summons letter and didn't show up to it or faked not getting it and they say they're innocent that means there was evidence that clearly showed it so nice try next one i hope tarrant county shows you judges who places the real judgment your corruption is fleeting and your time is up. You are biased, bigoted pig, and Vic has clear claims against Funimation, Monica Real, and all those other fools. My question is, why would you help them? Do they have something on you? Do you just have this natural bias against attractive men, desperate for female attention that you'll forgo ethics and empathy? Or does Funimation have more reach than we think? If so, they are tyrannical, and by all means, we have right to use force to subdue these tyrants. So we have three things here that we're seeing. We have one claiming the victim card for Vic because he's a white male. The middle one trying to pull up cases that have no relevancy to this that this judge never touched. And the third one basically asking for violence against these people because the judge hurt his feelings. We got the full stupid spectrum. Hooray! The, here's your sign. Like, I'm going to steal it. I'm totally stealing that for this. Here's your fucking sign. We need like a banner for when we get the stupid trifecta. <laughs> Currently on there, the one from two days ago, it says the pedophile defenders are so pathetic. And then man should be treated with respect and left alone. And then the next one is Jonathan, what are you doing? Do you think Vic would agree with this? So now you have more people commenting on it. Guys, this, this is a post from 10 years ago. Let it fade into internet obscurity and just let it be. This Whisper is just, words of wisdom. Like, this is just fucking stupid. Right. Like, people just don't understand what judges are these days, I don't feel. There's not, in my opinion, there's not a lot of respect for the judiciary branch as a whole because people get mad when things don't go their way. And it's like, no, you're obviously biased and, you know, this is what you're this is why you're wrong you made the wrong decision but judges are supposed to be impartial they are supposed to be the most neutral of all people and mm -hmm. it's really hard to become a judge because of that because it's really hard to set those biases aside and just look at facts no and it it is <laughs> and unfortunately for these people they don't understand that this no, is a bunch so. of people who live in their mother's basement and are paying money to a guy to fight a court case whose lawyer has been proven in court, according to other articles, to be completely inept at admitting that he needs to pay attention. <sighs> let's just so, think about that for a minute. Yes, that's a that's a whole other dumpster fire, though. That is so. Oof, let's go from one debate that we're kind of skirting around, not talking deeply about. To another debate that's stupid, Nancy. How stupid, Corey? I mean, it's about a fucking controller button. Oh! Are we talking about the Sony X button? Cross button. Cross but, button. But it's an X. But it's not. And here's my reasoning. Take a look. Go ahead and pull up Google right now. And look up Tekken Cross Street Fighter and tell me the symbol in between the two franchise logos. It's an X. <laughs> now, look up Project Cross Zone or Project Cross Zone 2. 
It's also an X. So, what does that lead you to believe? That it's the an Japan- X. That the Japanese <laughs> have no concept of what the fucking X is, guys. An X is a completely Western culture if you speak English. If you're Japanese and speak Japanese, it's a cross. This is true, because we also have to look at railroad crossing signs. It has an X on them. It's a cross. Crossing guards. Crossing signs. Xing. Yeah. So, guess what? The fact that it's a cross of that symbol has been around longer than the PlayStation has, so we're going with cross. Um, Make it even better for you. PlayStation agrees. PlayStation is all in on this. They're like, FYI, guys, it's cross. So, yeah, triangle, circle, cross, square. If cross is called X, it's not, then what are you calling circle? They're symbols, not letters. There is no triangle in the alphabet, at least for English. We're not talking about delta. It's not Greek. So they are symbols. But yeah. some of the some of the memes that have come from this do help me enjoy this stupidity just a little bit. Yeah, I do like the guy that took apart his controller and actually looked at the board and it says fork. So I guess we're all wrong. Well done, yep. Sony. Yep. You only played Square, yourself. Triangle, circle, fork. So from now on, I'm just going to say hit the fork button. And call right. it a day. But because like everyone in in the U.S. is used to hitting hitting the the button like that button to do things to make your decisions, you know, a, a yes decision. In Japan, it's actually completely flipped. Circle is yes, cross is no, because cross is a common symbol for no in Japan. And it really is a fairly common symbol here in the West as well, because you put, you know, put a big old X on something. There was even a whole show dedicated around the symbol or around the letter X or the symbol cross. Um, it was an old MTV show. It was called Next. I don't know if you ever watched any of that. Oh, Jesus. Um, and it was a huge X that they would use like as their their whole their whole marketing thing. Like it was Next with a huge X. And then like anytime someone was not doing well in terms of the date, they would put like a huge X on them and they're like, Next. And then you'd see like the timestamp of how long they went and some yeah. people would go through all five people and still not find anybody i mean i remember that show but think about it whenever someone says next and you're marking things off or you're crossing it off a list you use an x hey you, you want to know what you just said there you can use an x <laughs> you want to know what you said there you crossed it off uh-huh uh-huh but that's exactly the point in that <laughs> show it did it. it was in that x came up and crossed them off Yep. So, is this really a debate? No, we have other things we can worry about. Like, finding out why the creator of the Storm Area 51 event that we all know we're belonging to pulls out of his own event. Yeah, what do they have on him? What's happening to our precious bean? We need our fearless leader back. Yeah, it's just, it's stupid. To have debates about this, to harass a judge, guys, come on. Get a life. Let's find something better to debate about. Oh. Let's have some console wars again, you know? Why is Sony better than Microsoft? You can't really put Nintendo in that. It does its own completely different thing. But what about Speaking the PC of, Master Race? Well, they can't. They, they're always going to win. <laughs> but 
speaking of, you know, the whole thing, I want to propose something to you about console wars. I want you to think okay. about this for a minute. We've okay. got three main console manufacturers, right? Mm-hmm. Which one is only focused on making games? <laughs> Which one only makes games? You know? No one. Nope, you're wrong. Nintendo. Nintendo only makes games, and I want you to think about that. The Switch itself is considered a game. It's a console. They make their oh, games. See, I guess the software that's... for their games. Nintendo is still a games company. Their consoles don't do multimedia. You don't see the Switch playing DVDs. Hell, no Nintendo consoles ever played DVDs. No matter how hard you tried. But Sony <laughs> and Microsoft, they're more of, hey... There's a Blu-ray player in this that can connect to the internet and stream all of these things for you as a multimedia device because they're multimedia companies. See, I guess that's where I got confused with your question because I was just thinking like games is like video games, not necessarily console. So that's my bad. (laughs) But I do see the the, point that you're making. Nintendo is the only games company still making hardware in the games world. Well, I mean, there's there's a reason they're Nintendo Senpai. Like, I don't call them Nintendo Senpai for no reason. Have you seen the reports that Nintendo has enough money in the bank to run at a deficit for 40 years and still be in business? That's, That's how much money Nintendo is worth. That is absolutely amazing. But, I mean, they've been doing this for decades, and they, um, they've, they've hacked been the... I mean, Nintendo itself, well, the company's over 100 years old. I was going to, okay, okay. I, I knew that fact was coming the second I said decades. So I'm sorry. We've even talked century. about it before on a previous, yeah, yeah we've talked about it on a previous podcast. So, but I mean, they've really done a good job on like finding a niche and taking it and running, but then also advancing. So, I mean, it would make sense because they're always coming up with like new things and they are very good at, setting like a loyal fan base and nintendo i think more specifically has probably one of the most loyal fan bases of all time versus sony and xbox because i feel like although people prefer one or the other you're still going to get the same type of you know you're still going to get the same type like i prefer playing on xbox i don't own an xbox i have a playstation i mean I don't care. Console's a console. I've had PlayStations. I've had Xboxes. I had a PS1, a PS2. I skipped the PS3, got a PS4. I mean, I prefer Nintendo consoles because they're usually a little bit more geared toward the type of games that I enjoy, which is platforming. I don't really care about shooting games and things. I like RPGs. I like platformers. I like puzzle games. Nintendo has that. Um, But when it comes to like a console war between them, honestly... There are fanboys of Microsoft and Sony out there. Take a look at any gaming forum and have them screaming at each other about which console is better. (laughs) Everybody ignores Nintendo because they don't compete with Sony or Microsoft directly anymore. They're their own market. Nintendo has a loyal fan base. It's like, we're going to buy. It's okay. We're just waiting. (laughs) As long as there are parents introducing their kids to video games in this world, there will be a need for Nintendo. Nintendo is my first game. Like, anymore, that is what Nintendo is. My first game. Nintendo was my first game, too. Mine was actually not Nintendo. It was a Sega console. But I still prefer Nintendo. (gasps) 
Blasphemous. I'm, call I'm, I'm calling really. Nintendo. I'm calling Reggie. I'm I bringing him out of retirement just to put you in your place for saying Nintendo's my first game. Actually, Sega. <gasps> I didn't say Nintendo was my first game. I said Nintendo will have its place as a my first game console. Didn't say it was mine. I said it has its place as. And I can go back and roll the recording. Oh, semantics, semantics. Don't pull up the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> no, my first console I played on was a Genesis. I didn't own one, but it was the first one I played on. I had Nintendo consoles at home when I had my own. I played on Nintendo first, and then yeah. I played. No. Well, my first true gaming memories are of Mario and Nintendo games. No, nope. honestly, one of the first games I played was on Genesis. I don't remember what it was. I just remember the controller. I didn't like it. Too many buttons. I say <laughs> that as we look at them now. I was gonna say, or even looking at you know the GameCube controller and just well, all the things that come on that. You gotta look at it. Nintendo was pretty much two buttons and start and start the D-pad, A, E, start, select, the, the Nintendo controller was. Genesis's controller was A, B, C, start, and the D-pad. So you had more yeah. face buttons to do things with versus just simple A and B. Because then after that, Nintendo went to a six-button controller with shoulder buttons, and you're like, okay, fuck. <laughs> now I gotta learn how to use these fingers. But... <laughs> That being said, I think we have one more thing we wanted to talk about this week, didn't we? I believe so. We got to round it out somehow, right? All right. So this bit of stupidity also kind of blends in with our PSA of the day. And we're going to be talking about all the hype around bashing, vaping, and e-cigarettes today. Yep. So transparency for transparency's sake here. Corey and myself are both of that vape life. Hashtag vape life. We've used it to, you know, quit smoking and him and I do enjoy a nice flavored nicotine juice. We've been vaping for years. We're not dead yet. <laughs> no, I'm still very much alive. Actually, briefly, oh, much. I have in years, but right. I I smoked for two years, switched to vaping. I haven't looked back since. The doctor says my lungs sound wonderful. All is well. Now, and <laughs> I want to be 100 transparent though. What's making people sick isn't your simple e-juice, fill a tank, vapes. It's specifically one type. It's the wacky tobacco type. Yes, it is THC-infused e-cartridges that are making people sick, and I'm going to be 100% transparent. I have one in my hand currently. I've been using them consistently for a little over a year now, and I have not been sick or died from it. And why do you think that is, Corey? I know my supply. I know where my supplier gets them from. I know where his supplier gets them from, and I know where that supplier is at. Huh. That's crazy. I it's also, like, if it's not sealed, I don't buy it. If it's not yes. factory sealed, I don't buy it. If it's a low quality brand, I don't buy it. If it doesn't have the percentages I want, I don't buy it. Wait, you consumer. mean to tell me? I make <laughs> smart choices 
And I don't just buy everything off the street that I can get my hand on like these 16-year-old kids are doing in states that this is perfectly legal in. Yes, and that's that's really where the problem is coming from is that there are children or kids or teens or whatever age bracket people want to put them in, but they're younger adults that are going to street slash black market suppliers to get the pen because they're not old enough to use them legally. And anytime that you run, you, you make these types of transactions, you run the risk of bad things happening. It's the same when you buy knockoff or black market makeup. You don't know what the sanitation levels of those factories are at, what type of added stuff they put in it, if there's any type of bacteria. There's a lot that goes into manufacturing anything that's for like any type of consumption or inhalant or putting on like your face where like pores can absorb things. There's a reason that there are safety protocols and standards and laws put into place to protect us as consumers. So when you go in and you buy stuff from the Black Martin, you're going to get what you're going to pay for. So. <laughs> Aftermarket nonsense. <laughs> I'm going to say something that's kind of opposite of what you're saying. Okay. Let's get rid of the regulations. Oh, goodness. Name one good thing that regulating has helped and you can stop it. Everyone says the meatpacking industry, that was a different era. Let's talk modern time now. Sanitation issues aside, regulations on something like this is something that's also hurting this market. That's why you see the black market. That's why you see counterfeit products is the strict regulation. If you loosen up regulation across the board, you won't have a need for counterfeit product. How do you end this regulation? Get rid of the federal level prosecutable offenses that be around it. Like what? Well, first of all, if it was legal on a federal level, I don't think you'd have as many issues. I have firmly believed that the pop that the issue everyone has with drug cartels and the issues people talk about with them, you can single-handedly ruin that ruin them by getting rid of one of the biggest places that they are illegally supplying their product to, which is the United States. Legalize all the things and end the cartels. Let's go. All right, because then we won't need them anymore. What are they going to do? Maybe they'll well, pick up, like, gardening. Then it well, and then it could become legitimate. I mean, th you know, they could still run their own countries, but their violence won't be as bad here. We won't have to worry about our money going toward them as much when you can open up in your own country for that industry. Plus, it'll bring money and stabilize things. People can make more money and be self-employed. You could see farming come back as an industry alone that a lot of people want to get into. Hemp and tobacco built this country, and only one of those products is currently illegal. This is very true, and hemp products are far more sustainable than a lot of the other products that we You know what use. kind of paper the Constitution is written on? Oh, it's on hemp. Same with the Declaration of Independence. Right. Grown by our founding fathers. But yeah, no, let's let propaganda tell us that hemp is bad, Mukai. Well, right now, that's exactly what the prop that's exactly what the propaganda is I mean, telling us. Right you know now. what? Kudos on Texas. No, kudos on the state of Texas for legalizing hemp and hemp seed possession. You can legally Ooh. grow hemp in Texas now. You can't oh. you know, not the the non-flowering mm -hmm. strains, but it's still hemp. 
It's stump. It's something. It is a start. And yes, all hemp has THC in it, but non-flowering strains will not get you high unless you are smoking a forest. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> Let's smoke a forest, man. Come see me in April. Let's do it. <laughs> so uh, let's let's bring this back around a little bit because we did get a little off topic here. So we have we have these black market cartridges that are making these kids sick, and the death count now is at six people total. I guess. I believe I that's what. I believe it's six. I, Woo! Six whole people have died. Yes, as of our I don't mean to say that, like, yeah. disheartenedly. It's just, yeah, six whole people have died. Versus the, on average, 400,000 people that die from smoking cigarettes. But, but, Nancy, smoking, it takes years to affect you. Okay. <laughs> this took <laughs> hours. Yeah, well, you also need to think that... No embalming fluid that they found tainted in these things? Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're also, I, I, I was actually reading an article about this a little bit earlier today. Um, they're thinking that the vitamin C oil might actually be one of the, might be one of like the catalysts in these deaths as uh, well too, is because it's an oil that, you know, then gets vaporized and then once it's hot and then it settles in your lungs and then once it cools down, it becomes an oil again. And then your antibodies start fighting your lungs and they become inflamed, making it hard to breathe. So that's one of the things that they're thinking as well is that it's an actual additive into well, the cartridge. An additive from outside sources because they don't yes. add in or that into the cartridges. Most of the time with the cartridges that are THC based, it's just mainly the THC on the propellant and that propellant nine times out of 10 is just straight VG. There's usually not PG in them. Right. And they burn at such low wattages and low voltages that the oil itself, if it is spilling it up into your lungs to cause that, means you definitely have something that's been tampered with because it means it's been opened. The factory seals are broken. And you can check all of those things when you buy them. Wait, so you mean not... like after I buy something, I have to look at it and make sure it's okay? My guy actually requires that I open it and make sure it's okay before I leave his place. And he has what a good years. guy you have. What a good guy you have. We have a name for that rule, but we won't mention what the name for that rule is today. Yes, that is fair. <laughs> so it's time to wrap it up. Do you have any final mm -hmm. thoughts on, on some of this nonsense? So I do. Um, I think people harassing a judge because their favorite and I, you know what? No, scratch that. I think Vic stands harassing a judge is fucking pointless. I think that the cross button debate is just something that gamers are doing to fill time because they can. We're waiting for games to come out. So why not argue on the internet? You know, as you do. And... As for this, it's just really know your supplier, guys. Check your product before you take it home. And if you're in a state where everything's legal, just buy it from a damn dispensary. Yeah. So I guess that means PSA of the day. Know where your shit's coming from. <laughs>